This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. Hey, hey, you made it. Another week. And boy, it's going to be a it's it's going to be a great weekend. I can already tell, and I hope uh, you're doing well. I hope you're traveling safely. We've got a great show for you today. We are going to be talking about a new website, Just Serve. It's actually probably about a year old, where they're basically facilitating for free service. It's a pretty cool thing. If you have a volunteer group, you can go to Just Serve. Yes, and. If you need service to be done, you can go to Just Serve, and now the volunteers and those that are in need can align themselves, and bada boom, bada bing, you get a lot of service done. So this is different from, I need somebody to come over to my house and take out the garbage. Yeah, but it it may be kind of like that, but it might be more like, hey, we need somebody to help us clean up our church yard. And there might be a church group that is in the same city that wants to volunteer, but they don't know where to go get give the help. So now the help from the volunteers and the people that need the help can go. And it could be what, whatever congregation, whatever denomination, whatever what. It doesn't matter. I was kind of serious about the trash, though. No. No one's, no one's coming to take your trash okay. out. That's what your kids are for in a few years. It's the greatest day of your life. Once they're old enough to carry the <laughs> trash out. It is such a good day. Then you have to learn the art of negotiation, how to get them to take the trash out. The art of the deal? The art of the deal. Holy cow. Speaking of the art of the deal, have you heard of uh, of President Trump's new communication director, Scaramucci? They call mm-hmm. him the Mooch. Really? Yeah. He's the new communication director, and he's had, a, he's had a difficult start, it seems like. No. Well, he's already basically called out the chief of staff, Reince Priebus. Reins. Reins. Called out Reins and basically he used an expletive. Oh, dear. And said he is. Let's schiz- quote him. He's blanking schizophrenic. Let's just do the straight quotes. The we York, have a dump button, so we New could. York, the New York Times uh, defended publishing word for word what he said because they said this is unprecedented for this to be happening in the White House. Well, and by the way, and by the new communication director. He's like, what? What, no, not he's a week, week, he's like a week old days. today. Yeah, yeah. Is it today? Yeah, because he came in on Friday. That's right. I think they want to publish it word for word because maybe they're interested in putting Trump under a uh, not so, you know, flattering light. This, by the way, well, maybe, but th- you can't get away from this because apparently he and he and um, Pr- Reince are like uh, Cain and Abel. Wrong. Yes. A- and Cain murdered Abel. Right. Wrong. So that may not be the brotherhood you want. You're wrong. Yeah. I don't think he knows his Bible all that Somebody well. Somebody needs to read the Bible. They say many are calling him the mini Don. He's the mini Donald Trump. Mm. He's, he, I think he's even, but he's he's doing more, he's saying more than even Donald has been able to say. But he is the communications director. So we'll get into that. That is, that's crazy time. That's, stuff's going down. And so I bet you'll start seeing heads roll because he's in there to stop the leaks. Apparently. And it all started because he called a reporter. Right. Didn't tell her it was off record and then just started ranting, trying to figure out where she got information. Where'd you get that information? That, he sh- that she shouldn't have had. And she said, I'm not going to tell you. Well, and it's interesting. This, uh, and then he said, as an American, you should tell me. Well, whoa. But he went off assuming it was Reince. 
Right. But the 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 reporter did say it wasn't Reins. Then later he said, "I'm Italian. You're Italian. We're just joking." How do you get to that position and not realize that there's nothing that's off the record? Well, it's all on the record. Well, I think because he he's a hedge it. manager, not a communications <laughs> professional. But that's he's really also what it comes he's down also to. threatened that FBI. We're going to get the FBI involved. The FBI well, he, is going to start he, to. He deleted that. Tweet. Yeah, that, then he got rid of it. But what he's saying is, I I say that because I need some people's knees knocking. And when I say the FBI are going to get involved in this, then I see who the knee knockers are. Ooh. I didn't know that was a word. Yeah. Then I see who the knee knockers are. Then I'm. Then we know who we have to go after. So he's basically trying to intimidate everybody that's leaking. Which honestly, the leaks need to stop. There's not. There's no loyalty. But right. part of that is because I think the president himself has created a culture of disloyalty. Yes. He's got three factions in there. He's got his himself. Plus, he's got the Reince Priebus traditionalists, and then he's so, got the 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 Steve Bannons. I read this article this morning. It said it's it's chaos. It's the Hunger Games. It's just The Apprentice every day. It really is. It's re- he's getting all these different factions to compete against themselves, which doesn't help his agenda. No. But he feels it's productive. Yeah, but it's not because we're talking about his we're talking about his communication leader. Yeah. Instead of talking about probably what they should be talking about today is the health care bill. Well, no, we're moving on. The repeal mini light. Are you taking notes over there? You getting it's notes? The drip, no, these drip. are the these are the leaks that are going on. It's the constant drip drip out of the White oh, House. Oh my heavens! Is that what it sounds like? Yeah, there it is. They need to get a plumber over there. It's yeah. pretty bad. Believe me. Well, that's what Nixon called the office. He called it the plumbers, <laughs> and those are the guys that broke into water, the Watergate building. So. Now that guy knows Don't a thing or two about plumbers. Nothing being off record. Apparently, so there was a placard on their door in the white house that said the plumbers that was their job is to really plug the leaks yeah i was oh, reading that earlier so we'll get to all of that excitement uh plus of course uh talk with our guests in a few minutes about just serve the new website that makes it so you can just basically sign up and if you have service needs or if you have the ability to serve boom they connect by the way all for free now i gave you Change several articles yeah and basic, I just wrote it at the top of each article where it came from. It's I mean, all across the nation. You're talking everywhere. We're, we're uh, Austin, Texas, Idaho has examples. Arkansas or Arkansas, Arkansas. So now, what if I California, don't? California, Ohio. What if I don't want to pay my bills and I need some help? Yeah, no, that wouldn't be service like that. No, really? No. no. I mean, there's mm-hmm. you. You might be able to get help other ways. That's where you go to like GoFundMe. See if you can get yeah. some crowdsourcing for your, your personal so experience. This is different from GoFundMe. Yeah, yes. different than that. Okay. This is Go like, serve me? Is serve, that what it's? Just serve, okay. yeah. And it's not like an Angie's List where you can find your you know your, carpenter that plumber. your neighbor used or something. Yeah. yeah, plumber to plug the leaks. No. But we this instead is like you might even get a whole youth group from a high school could sign up to go do service in California. I don't know if it's Pretty called cool. if it's called just serve me. They should just serve me. That's actually just, just serve. serve. Just serve. There's no. Oh, just there's serve. no me. Okay, no. just serve. No just serve me, me might be like a delivery food type service. You <laughs> yeah, know. there's there's no there's no me in just serve. <laughs> just make, put the pizza in my mouth. Yeah, absolutely. Just feed me. So we'll get to that fun. Plus, of course, some empty news uh, as we get into the rest of the hour. But uh, first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? A Rus- uh, Russian government sees two U.S.-owned diplomatic properties Friday, hours after its foreign ministry ordered the U.S. to cut its diplomatic staff in the country by September 1st. 
The New York Times reports the Kremlin will cut off American access on August 1st to the Moscow warehouse and a leafy enclave where U.S. staffers often walk their dogs. Ooh, no dog walking in Moscow. Yeah. The actions came one day after the U.S. Senate voted to slap new sanctions on Mo- Moscow for meddling in the 2016 presidential election and aggressions in Crimea and Ukraine. The ministry also threatened that if Washington kicks out any additional Russian diplomats, Russia will retaliate further. The escalation, escalating tensions may soon force President Trump to take a hard line on Moscow or visit, veto the legislation and anger his own party and country. Wow, as it says, I don't know if the country cares, but yeah, he, well, he, yeah, he he may veto this, and if he yeah. vetoes it, then who's he supporting? The Russia investigation into what happened during the election, yeah. just the fervor. Yeah. I don't know if it does anything that way. It's but. Jeff Sessions' fault. <laughs> well, he'll get fired. The U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is upgrading and expanding a probe into 1.33 million Ford Explorer SUVs over the reports of exhaust odors in vehicle compartments and exposure to carbon monoxide that may be linked to crashes and injuries. The Auto Safety Agency said in a statement on Thursday it was aware of more than 2,700 complaints and three crashes that may be linked to exposure to carbon monoxide, 41 injuries among police and civilian vehicles in the probe covering uh, 2011 through 2017 model year Ford Explorers. Police in Austin, Texas are installing CO2 detectors in their vehicles because they're convinced that their Ford Explorers are leaking exhaust and making them sick. They're also thinking, we're just going to take these out of service. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Just get them out of there. It's a bad design somehow. Yeah. Uh, When the markets opened on Thursday, Microsoft founder Bill Gates lost his standing as the world's richest man for a few hours that honor now belong to Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Amazon shares jumped Thursday morning, pulling Bezos up, his net worth up by $1.4 billion. As of noon Eastern, for, uh, Forbes' real-time list of the world's billionaires calculated Bezos as a net worth of $91.4 billion, where Gates' net worth now sits at a mere $90.1 Holy billion. Cow. When he when uh, he hits the mark, Bezos, who started selling books from his garage 22 years ago, became the first man to bump Gates from his perch in seven years and is only the sixth man to hold the richest person title in the past 30 years. Man alive. Do you think, do you think Gates, like, sat... Depressed, no, melancholy, he's trying rocking to, in a chair. He's trying to have how to take third world countries and give them a toilet that works. That's yeah. really what his life That's work at the guy. moment is because it's it's a horrible situation there. But uh, now Bezos is back to number two. Well, Amazon dropped again. Yeah, give, give him a give him a bit. Give a- him a Amazon's trading at over a thousand dollars a share. By the way, holy cow! I saw that. I was like, whoa! They need to do a stock split or something. That's too high. I, I'm there every day. I love Amazon. They're my best friends. And finally, there's a crisis involved in the filming of one of the biggest movies of the year. What? Well, reports surfaced earlier this week. Superman actor Henry Cavill was filming Justice League reshoots with a mustache. <laughs> Which would later have to be digitally removed. Fans lost their minds on Twitter and other social media. So you can't, you can't, he can't have a stash. Huh? Superman is, no, there's no mustache. He did have a beard in Man of Steel. Even like during November, like Movember. That was before he was Superman. He was, okay. he was saving people on oil rigs and stuff. Okay. So wow. after he was Superman, clean shaven. Really? So, that, so he's like twice a day he's got to shave. Do they want him to be like Christopher Reeve where he gives out PSAs? I don't know. Hmm. So the actor who is currently shooting Mission Impossible 6 took to Instagram to address the fiasco and try to calm fans. 
says, yes, you read that right. He said, there has been no discussion over whether to shave or not to shave for the Justice League reshoots, simply a relentless campaign to put an end to the seemingly impossible to stop conquest of this despotic mustache. Wow. He then said, "Fully, he is fully aware that the beast of a mustache has to go without bringing our own doom raining down upon us. He must keep the stash because it's part of his MI6 contract, but it will be digitally removed. I think Justice I saw the picture. Movie. It was barely a mustache. Yeah, but I don't know. You, you don't mess with Superman. You don't pull on his cape. You don't, you know, don't mess with the mustache. Don't laugh at his tights. Yeah. You, you don't do those things. You don't twirl his hair lock that hangs down on his forehead. Right. You don't mess with his girl. Mm. Ooh, yeah. That would be bad. I want to see what a digitally removed mustache looks like. Well, it's just a lipless person. <laughs> That's just going to make people sit there and watch that movie and be distracted. Like every time he pops up on the screen. Oh, I see hair. Oh, but he's dead. Hair. Superman's dead at the moment. So we'll have to see how he comes back to life. Maybe it's the mustache that helps Maybe he'll never come back his to body. life. I don't know. The rebel on his grave was starting to rumble. Yeah, Notice we're still around. talking about Superman. What's wrong with that? Well, it just seems like we ought to move on. No fun. Hey, um, speaking of Donald Trump. Hmm. A.K.A. Superman. Did you see John McCain yeah. walk into the Senate? Floor? No, what did he say? What did he say? Because everyone's talking about how he's the maverick. He, he said no. That was it. Because that was the He vote. was one of the three people that voted against mini repeal. It was the last, allegedly, effort to end Obamacare. And he was the deciding vote, I and guess? This, this, it was on the, um, the penalty for not... Uh, being in Obamacare, if you don't have insurance and you're not in Obamacare, there was the penalty effect. Right. And they, they were taking that penalty away, the mandate. And uh, he walked in and they were, t- they, I guess he was out of order because he was out of the room and then he came in, you know, they do it in order by name. <laughs> and he walked in and stood there, held his hand up to the, the you know, the president of the Senate. Yeah. And the, they acknowledged him and he goes, no. They're like, and then you, <gasps> We were just taking lunch orders, John. I <laughs> like, I don't want the, you know. So and do like, you want baloney or not? Democrats start clapping, right? Yeah. And uh, the minority leader for the Senate, what was his name? Do you remember his name? Um, um, I forgot it. Yeah. You know, he I, stood up and like waved his Schumer. hand. Schumer. That's yeah, right. Chuck Schumer Schumer stands up, waves his hand to tell everyone to be quiet. Quiet. Nobody knows John just voted with us. And like you see Republicans just like sit back in their seats like, oh. Defeated. Because it goes down by one vote. Yeah. What that tells you is they need a better plan. Thanks, John. Politico reported as McCain walked into the room, he goes, ready for the show? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Now, does this have to do with the fact that likely this is his last term? Oh, yeah. And so he's looking at it like, I don't have well, to worry about re-election. Let's actually vote this. To well, did you see Chuck Schumer? Like, I don't know when he got emotional, but he got emotional talking about McCain. Right. So, I mean, this guy's iconic. Mm-hmm. And he was he was one of the, the, what is it, the group of six or seven or whatever that would, they were the ones that would swing the, the votes one way or the other in, in the Senate. And so he's kind of been a very bipartisan person. And now all of a sudden he's tired of this. Politics. And in light of his speech the other day, you hear that and you're like, okay, people say that, but yeah. then they go vote differently right. and then he walks into the room and just blows everything up. Well, remember, yeah, and he ran for president, hmm. which is why he lost probably because he couldn't get the ultra right side right. of the Republican Party. Hmm. Intriguing. It really is intriguing. But another loss for the GOP. And 
I don't know what President Trump's going to do because it's just complain you know, on Twitter so far. Yeah. I mean, heads are going to roll. Not in the Senate. Well, because as, he, as, as McCain said the other day, we do not work for the president. We are equal with him. Yeah. Wrong. They haven't well, met. They haven't met the mooch. That's how he feels. Yeah, the mooch. Scaramucci. They change all this. Scaramucci. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, I've never seen a communication director. First of all, they usually don't. They don't speak nearly you, as much. We as usually he does. see the press secretary, yeah. not this guy. And this guy's behind the scenes trying to get things accomplished, and this guy's out front. Many are saying he's vying for the job of um, what's it called? The chief of staff. Chief of staff. He wants Priebus's job. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. And that was spicy. And then there's other rumors that Conway's going to take the job. Really? Yeah. That's not happening. No. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, it's probably not happening. Because having someone that's a, in politics didn't work. Well, they they, they still got to figure out where the leaks are coming from. Do you think she's one of the knee knockers? When it, No, I don't think she's scared, but I think she, as everyone in the whole White House, it leaks when it serves their purpose. Yeah, well, including the president. Of course. So that what's weird is all of a sudden the journalists are getting beat up for all of these leaks and, and everything, and so are the White House staffers. But what's going to happen when the president wants to leak something? Mm. Do they just – is there anyone that he can go to now that he, that won't be like, good? Well, sure, everyone. No one cares. Yeah. I mean, he goes – they all – apparently everyone in the White House goes off the record. Oh, yeah. And then they report what they just – they report that, you know, sources off the record said, and then they complain about leaks, and it was you guys that are leaking. Oh, the, well. The tangled web. It's By the great. way, if it wasn't bad enough for Trump, did you hear the whole story about now people are wearing Donald Trump masks to, to commit robberies? Really? Yeah. That's nothing de- new, though. They used to do that with Nixon and Reagan right. and Clinton. Yeah. But now it's it's Trump. Like imagine that you you can watch people breaking in to a to a bank and they're all dr- looking like Donald Trump. That's a bad mask. It's a bad mask. It's a bad make sure by the way when you it's quite when, bulky. If you use a mask, make sure it fits you well. Yeah, you you don't f- want to it you can't turn your head and then have your eyes be looking at the looking at the ear hole. <laughs> I don't want to be technical, but so anyway, yeah, apparently, you know, you've seen films inspired by the Jackal. You've seen films inspired. You've seen uh, films where they did dress like um, some of the past presidents, President Reagan, and they'd like rob a bank. Point Break. Yeah, like Point Break. Exactly. But sadly, um, they're at it again in Italy. Italy police said that Monday they'd arrested two brothers suspected of robbing dozens of cash machines while wearing masks of U.S. President Donald Trump. As Scaramucci said, they're Italian. They're just it's just a joke. A joke amongst friends. Yeah, he, he brought up his Italian <laughs> background a lot. Yeah. Well, because it makes you fiery and more emotional. And it was funny to watch stereotype. him talk to Cuomo because Cuomo's like, What? He was like, I am too. What are you talking about? <laughs> What's the deal? Now is this Italian or is this Greek? I think Don uh, established and confirmed that this was Italian. Sounds Greek to me. Because Don is Italian. You knew that, right? Don. It's Don. Don Corleone, Shalane. He's he was made a Don. Yeah, he is. But it was made a Dom. He was a Don the Dom. Dom Deloise. We got a great show up next. We're going to be talking uh, with some of the spokespeople for Just Serve, which is a brand new website that's going to facilitate service nationwide. If you've got a service group that wants to offer service, or you need service done in your neighborhood, your community. Uh, guess what? This is the site that will line everybody up and get everyone together. 
That's all up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, when it comes right down to it, sometimes the best way to forget our problems is by helping and serving others. JustServe.org is a website where the volunteer needs of organizations uh, may be posted on the site, and then volunteers who could actually serve those needs and, and meet those needs could also then be could, – could, could go find where people need help, where people need some service and some um, – a leg up maybe. Joining us today to talk about this website, JustServe.org, are two of the JustServe specialists, Nolan Karras, who um, is uh, uh, the Northern Utah Area JustServe specialist involving the training and supervision of the JustServe resource uh, in Layton, Utah, all the way up to Malad, Idaho – he also serves on the Weber Public Affairs Council for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Karras was also the co-chair of Education First, a political action committee dedicated to advancing educational outcomes. Also joining us is Caitlin Gochner, who served eight years on the Ogden City Council, just finishing her second term in January of 2016. And she's been involved with Just Serve for the last year. Uh, Nolan and Caitlin, thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you. Good morning. So uh, let's just start with you, Nolan. What do you think? Talk to us. What is Just Serve, and and how did it come to be? Well, it's a community service provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as you indicated, it's a website used by faith and nonprofit uh, community and government organizations to post uh, service opportunities, and it's, it enables people in the community to use the site to find uh, opportunities to volunteer. So it's it's really a, a wonderful little program. It got its start in San Jose about five and a half years ago. Uh, the LDS Church decided that, that they needed to be able to have uh, better tools to let their, their members reach out to the community. And our current prophet, President Monson, had added a fourth mission to most of the members of the LDS Church would know about the threefold mission, but President Monson in 2008 added uh, the care for the poor and the needy to the to the mission of the church, which was always an underlying uh, objective. But but he added it clearly, and so this website was begun in San Jose five and a half years ago, and is now rolled out across the United States at every state and every province in Canada. Unbelievable. So, Caitlin, so it's it's now then, it, it's it's created, it was created, it's, I guess, being marketed by the LDS Church, but really, it's, it, it's non-denominational, right? Any service organization, any church group of any affiliation can sign up and use these services. Absolutely. It's just, it's a wonderful tool for to lift the entire community and bring people together and build bridges of understanding between people that maybe haven't rubbed shoulders before. Yeah. So it's a wonderful opportunity. And because uh, we've heard of other websites, Caitlin, that you that you can actually pay to to be a part of, like you could pay uh, money to get people to come serve your organization. But this this is all for free. 
Right. The beauty of this one is that it's all for free and it's open to any faith organization, any nonprofit, any community group, as well as governmental ent- entities. So hmm. it's, it's a game changer. It's pretty powerful. Talk to us, Nolan. I know when they were in San Antonio and st- starting it, um, one of the things the, the church likes to do is have a lot of data to make sure it's working right before they rolled it out to the entire country. What, t- tell us how what you what were some of the stories, what you saw happening as as it's just been rolling out. Well, and, and I admit to you that I wasn't around in the five and a half years ago when it was in San Jose, but a wonderful couple named uh, Bill and Sid Price have been involved in this from the very beginning. And they decided to pick an area, and the San Jose area was picked. I have a good friend who was an LDS stake president during this time period and helped, helped roll it out, so I've had his stories. But the pilot project involved 11 LDS stakes in that uh, San Jose area, and they had a name, uh, Just Serve, but they didn't have much else. They had a rudimentary website, uh, which was justserve.org, but they they didn't have much more. Hmm. And frankly, the church told them to, they had some rules that were pretty difficult to follow. They couldn't develop an organizational structure that required any new callings. Uh, they they had to require, no couldn't require any senior missionaries to be called. Uh, they just couldn't add any more burden to the church. Huh. And they'd be able to provide these opportunities. Now, they do call us. We've been called, uh, Caitlin and I, in, in northern Utah. There's 20-plus of us that have been called to, to assist with this. But... It's an organization that utilizes the current organization of the church and the community. And Caitlin's an expert on reaching out in in Ogden to be able to work with the the Salvation Army, the Presbyterian Church, the United Way, uh, Habitat for Humanity, the Nature Center. Mm. You can just go on and on. I love it. I actually know Bill and Sid Price, which is how I came to find out about this. And, I mean, they tell story after story of of having, like, maybe an LDS youth group, maybe 20 or 30 youth going and working at the Catholic parish and cleaning up a parish or serving dinner um, when uh, the, the parishioners from the parish were not able to, to be there to, to watch over their flock. And like you said, uh, Presbyterians serving um, Catholics, Catholics serving Presbyterians, I, I, and uh, all of every other kind of uh, volunteer organization. Talk to us, Caitlin, about what you've seen um, in Ogden and in other areas uh, when it comes to just serve connecting communities and serving one another. You know, I, I will just share one of my favorite stories, and um, I've been at this about a year, and one of the early faith groups that I reached out to was Ogden's Episcopal Church, and they they have this wonderful event. They have It's called the Shepherd's Bowl Community Meal, and once a week they feed lunch to the homeless, and it's a from-scratch effort. And they started in January of 2016, and the first week they had four people show up. And now they're averaging close to 200 meals every week. And when I contacted them a year ago, about right now, they were sort of, you know, they were doing it, but they were getting burned out and needed some help. And it's been a project on Just Serve and has been a wonderful collaboration. Mm. And people go and serve, and they're hooked, and they 
keep going back, and there are members of the Presbyterian Church, or sorry, the Episcopal Church that are there every week, and there have just been these wonderful relationships that have built, built up. And before the event starts, before they open the doors, they have a prayer, and everybody there, all these faith, different faiths hold hands and say a prayer, and it's it's an incredible wonderful opportunity for the whole community. That is amazing, especially when you when you see how divided our country is today, to, to think that uh, people can be uniting with even different faith groups, uniting in a cause of serving and maybe praying with one another, that's, that's super powerful. We also see stories coming out of Austin, Texas, out of Idaho, out of Arkansas, out of California, Ohio. Um, talk to us, Nolan, about uh, the impact this is having around the country. I mean, a lot of times if people think that this is just an LDS thing, you might just see it here in Utah or in the West. But is is it taking root uh, nationwide? Absolutely. I was just in Newport Beach on business, and I was with the CEO of the company that I was meeting with, a, a very large investment money manager. And uh, I pulled up my uh, – the, the, the site has an app, so I pulled my app up. And there was 173 projects within the Newport Beach area within 15 miles. Wow. And I, and I was able to show him the kind of projects that are an incredible number of projects. But there's 100 cities using the web, well, more than 100 cities using the website to post volunteer needs. The New York City itself has adopted the site as its volunteer site. Uh-huh. It isn't surprising that Utah has done that, but it is interesting that New York City has done it, and there's over 100 cities that have adopted it. There are 5,000, more than 5,000 administrators, many that are not LDS that, that post the projects. Caitlin's assignment is to authorize these folks to post the assignments. And so they're across the, the, the country, there are numerous people who were then assigned to put those 173 projects on. There are, there are 280,000 registered volunteers now in the United States and Canada, more than 50,000 in Utah. And there are 11,000 active projects, 1,600 of them in Utah. Unbelievable. Boy, isn't it amazing? One idea... And, and how it takes root and it starts to grow. Let's take a break. Uh, we're speaking with Nolan Karras and Caitlin Gochner. Both are um, volunteers specialists with JustServe.org, an organization that is trying to connect uh, volunteer needs with volunteers. And it sounds like it's happening. 280,000 registered volunteers nationwide. Uh, we'll continue the discussion and continue the the spirit that you hear of of unity, of togetherness, of service that happens when a bunch of people serve those in need. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. On the phone with us is Nolan Karras and Caitlin Gochner. They are both uh, specialists for Northern Utah areas. JustServe.org. JustServe.org is a it's a website 
where you can go post your your needs as uh, you know your service needs. If you're an organization or a service organization, if you're the Red Cross or other organizations, you can go in and post the needs that you have, and then Just Serve also aggregates a list of volunteers. So far, they have about 280,000 registered volunteers nationwide, and um, they have, I think, 11,000 projects currently underway. It's all free, and uh, Nolan and Caitlin are here to walk us through how this works. Again, thank you both for your time and for being with us. You're welcome. Caitlin, can you talk to us about um, some of the, the the way that an organization goes in and signs up and, and how they actually become either, um, you know, somebody that needs the service or somebody that offers the service? So, you know, the site, the way it's set up, anybody can submit a project. And it's a, it's a super user easy tool that it walks you through it. And then that project is submitted to somebody on the Just Serve team, and they will vet it and get in contact with that person and make sure it fits and, and, and then post it to the site. And anyone also can volunteer on the site, and it's super easy. I've walked lots of people through it, and, you know, if they're under 35, they can register in about 10 seconds. And if they're a little bit older, it's still very user-friendly, and it just takes a couple minutes to do. So can it just be, uh, can it be a widow that needs her backyard, uh, the, the trees pulled out of her backyard? Could it be a, a project as simple as that? So, no, you know, it, it has to go through either, if it's a, it has to go through a nonprofit organization that actually has 501c3 status or a community organization or a government entity, um, that sort of thing. But, you know, if that woman contacted her local um, senior center, it could go through them. Oh, interesting. But it's it's not set up for individual projects. It's more for those organizations. So that makes it so that what you're providing are volunteers to go to all of the established um, kind of charitable organizations, government organizations that need the service performed. And then, then you'll bring the volunteers to, to fulfill the service. Right. It is a marketplace, and um, people, you know, are attracted to some kinds of projects more than others. So yeah. some projects do fill, and others, you know, maybe don't. Hmm. Interesting. And, Nolan, what's the idea behind it? Like, I mean, I get, I get that the church, uh, it wants to help people, but why would the LDS Church be so interested in, in, uh, in this project? Because I'm assuming it takes a lot of resources to, to make this system work, uh, to create the volunteer staff behind getting the volunteers out. What's the, what's the goal of, for the LDS Church? Well, uh, first to care for the poor and the needy, and, and, and obviously there's secondary benefits, uh, the members, including the missionary forces that are all across the country, are able to volunteer and get to know people in the community. Uh, the Shepherd's Bowl lunch that Caitlin talked about, the priest for that congregation is part of a, a homeless program for children called Family Promise. That priest now posts on Just Serve looking for people who can help with Family Promise. So it just multiplies as mm. people get accustomed to it, 
and and here are the uh, Episcopal folks, uh, the Presbyterians, and so forth, working on Family Promise. They get accustomed to it. They then learn that volunteers sign up. We got a uh, that Family Promise happened to get a woman attorney uh, that was family law to sign up to be a member of the board of Family Promise, and then advises the board on helping the homeless. So it has a way of, of multiplying, and there's a flywheel effect here as it gets gets going, it just gets going more and more and more, and then people uh, in meetings and so forth that I've been in say, well, not knowing that I'm even involved in it, we'll say, oh, we ought to post that on Just, just Serve, and so it it's a way for the, I think the motives for the church are, are pure, it's caring for the poor and needy, but it also means that LDS people are going to be working next to people who are uh, not of their faith, and maybe that's more important than San Antonio or San Jose or Edmonton, uh, you know, yeah. Canada. But but the idea that people can work side by side. If you go down to the Shepherd's Bowl, you'll find missionaries. They're in their their street clothes, but they've got their badge on, and they're serving. And people learn that that the missionaries have an opportunity to serve during the dead hours during the week when they they have a hard time finding things, especially when. Uh, people are not home, they can then sign up, and many of the missions want these missionaries to be serving 10 hours a week. And and the Aga mission, for example, is after Caitlin and I because they don't have enough opportunities to, to do it because it has to be during the day and hmm. it has to be during certain hours. But So the church's motives are, are pure. It's care for the poor and needy, but it's also getting the community to come together and and as you indicated earlier in this polarized world, I can't think of anything that would be better than for us to get to know each other outside of our homes and away from our our uh, iPhones and and to be able to say, well, I've got acquainted with you and we've served together, and of course, service has its own rewards anyway. Absolutely, and in fact, if you go to the website justserve.org, um, you can see success stories, and these, this is just like the last ten. So just maybe less than 10 days, some of the things that have been done was volunteer help for a food pantry, uh, mattresses for Pope Francis Haven, mending the gap for senior citizens, Camp Tukabuchi cleanup service project, um, Youth Discover History of the Airfield Museum, friends and neighbors head down to a farm cleaning up downtown Stevensville, Montana, resettling refugees. I mean, a lot of it's it's amazing because this is you can see nationwide, but it's also um it's it, it just it seems like you're mixing and stirring the pot so well. Uh Caitlin, is it it seems to me that you'd have more service needs than volunteers. Is that true, or is there a pretty good balance of projects to, to volunteers? Oh, I can answer that two ways. You know, there's a wonderful variety of projects so that, um, you know, you can sort of get, get, get people that may not be interested in the same thing. But at the same time, there are so many projects that I think sometimes there can be a little bit of disappointment that the project doesn't fill. But... All these organizations, the volunteer coordinators, they, they know what they're working with, and, and they're used to being flexible hmm. and um, kind of rolling with that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess, I mean, it is because it is a marketplace, like you say. You it, it The thing is, to me, there's hope because normally 
you wouldn't even know where to go. But now you have a place to go to post your project, and you have a lot of control over how you how you present it, how you manage it in a way that maybe you can get different volunteer groups to bite and come be a part of it. At least you have somewhere to go now instead of just exactly. hoping. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I just want to add one thought there. Um, you know, I think the LDS community is so service-oriented, but maybe hasn't had the opportunity to hmm. reach out and, and do that service in, you know, outside of their own community. And the, the another secondary benefit for them is that they're out there experiencing and seeing that there is so much goodness outside of their own little world. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Oh, totally. And I guess that's the key, too, is um, these are all children of God. These are all brothers and sisters, fellow you know travelers in the journey of life. So in any way, I think that we can help and serve is great. But more importantly, I guess, to connect and to relate and to to yeah, care yeah. is is probably even more important. What uh, what That's do you powerful. what do you see, Nolan? As far as the future of this, uh, are there changes that the church is looking to make on JustServe.org? org? Um, I mean, it looks like the growth is. This is really only five years in the making. Where do you see it going from here? Well, I believe that I know that some of the top leaders of the LDS Church have indicated that to make sure the materials are translatable. Uh, into other languages. It's already got French and uh, Spanish, and the website can handle those kind of languages as well. The material has been translated, so the, the 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 world may be the oyster for this this kind of a project. It, it's working so very well, but it is still a challenge to try and get people to think about it and get back on it. And if anything that Caitlin and I worry about is that we need to have those 280,000 volunteers thinking about it and looking on the site, and we actually track the number of active users. If Matt Townsend had been on the site, we wouldn't know him specifically, obviously, but yeah. we'd know that someone had been on the site in the last uh, 30 days. And so we're constantly hoping that it, it isn't a burden, it isn't another assignment, it isn't another... In the LDS Church, they love to have priesthood assignments, and you go to the cannery next Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Right. It isn't that kind of a thing. It's 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 self-motivation. But once people learn about it, then they get excited about it, and I think the future is extremely bright. Uh, We're working right now on changing the website to some degree to help with organizations. There are some umbrella organizations, for example. Utah, uh, the state of Utah has what's called USERV, which is the state's effort to encourage volunteerism. There's a similar person in every state in the nation. Mm. So the site's working now to try and help those folks coordinate and have some umbrella uh, features to that uh, to the site so that they can coordinate with activities if you've got a united way that already has a way to try and get volunteers and making the site friendlier to those folks so that it works for everybody because the ultimate purpose is to try and get the service done no matter what site you is used on on our website you can sign up somebody and they say well i just want to direct you to my site mm. So, okay, so you get on Just Serve, and it says uh, Catholic Community Services. Uh, bad example because they sign up direct, but you can go to that site. And then, and in fact, in some cases, we'll, we'll know that we had 10 volunteers for a project, and the, and the nonprofit will say to us, well, we had 25, or we were overwhelmed. 
Well, sometimes people get on and then go direct to the site. Yeah. So that's okay. We just want to be manageable and also to be able to have people people serve. What we find is, is if people serve, they, they like it and they go back and they build relationships and it just continues. So I just think in five and a half years, if you can get this thing across the United States and Canada and have as many projects as posted, as I said, 173 within 15 miles of Newport Beach, I mean, it's just amazing. You go in and put San Diego. You can you can almost put any city you can think of, and you'll see projects, which means there's an organization like Caitlin and Nolan across this country, across Canada. It's all a credit, frankly, to Bill and Sid Price and, and the team that works with them. But my goodness, so the future is bright for Just Serve. That's beautiful. And, uh, Caitlin, as we wrap up, we've got about a minute. Give us – tell us why. why. Tell us to the heart how it changes the the person that goes in and serves. Oh, wow. It is just it's such a powerful tool and, and it it brings so much goodness to the community and to that person. And um again just going back that it builds these bridges of understanding and respect and strengthens the community and unifies the community and the and the people involved. Mm. Uh, Powerful. It's, it's powerful. It really is. Caitlin Gochner, thank you so much. Nolan Karras, we appreciate your great work there on JustServe.org. Again, they are Northern Utah area specialists for JustServe.org. But they have specialists nationwide in every city. Go to the website. Check it out, JustServe.org. Again, it can be any community organization, any Boy Scout group, Girl Scout troop. It can be anything, the United Way you name it, um, they're all signing up and bringing people to uh, to handle these um, these volunteer needs. Power, folks, when we serve one another. Up next, we'll uh, continue the journey, help you feel the good in the world and be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It's my house, come on! Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, on the show, we've we've talked about other programs where you can sign up, you know, to be a service provider or to when you need service, but you have to pay for those service. Um, you have to pay eventually. If they line up somebody to come do the work for you for free, there's got to be some remuneration. And in the end... I mean, that's great, right? People still need service and they they want service. But in the end, to have an organization that will spend, I'm betting, a lot of money to build a website that's robust enough that with the server space to handle the 280,000 volunteers and the 11,000 projects re- that are ongoing, um, it takes money. It takes insight. It takes It takes support. So how cool to see an organization that's willing willing to do that. I think in the end, too, what we ought to be thinking about is um, are you willing to lose yourself? Are you willing to go out and do what you need to do? Do you ever get a little prompting, a little insight that you need to go serve somebody? Because, you know, the best way to lose yourself, obviously, is in the service of others. Um, it's also, by the way, the best way to find yourself. So a little challenge for you this weekend. Get out of your comfort zone. Go do a little service. If you can, go to JustServe.org. That's a great uh, resource. But if not, just get out of yourself and go help the neighbor. Go help push that car out of traffic. Do what you got to do. 
That's our number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, more fun, more excitement right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Uh, hour number two of the program. Welcome to the show. We got so much good to give you today. Holy cow. We are ready for um, not just Friday, but uh, today we will be talking about how to grow friendships and uh, how you can teach or guide your kids to making and keeping better friends. Add a little water, <laughs> maybe some miracle miracle grow, talk yeah. to it, sing to it. Uh, that might be ways to lose friends. Oh. I mean, if you're like singing to your friend, they might get sick of that. But I sing to you all the time. Exactly. That's my point. And by the way, I have a cold. I have a summer cold. And I don't know why. I think it's... But it doesn't make sense because colds are generally like a virus, right, or an infection or a bacteria or something. And yet I think it's because I have cold air blowing on me all the time. It's karma. And it's karma. You just The universe is getting back at you? Yeah. For all those things that you do to it? This morning I have a speech. That's what it is. I have a speech with, uh, I don't know, 100, 150 um, autism counselor guides, aids, huh? and I'm losing my voice. Uh-oh. It's kind of scary. So I might need to have one of you go do it for me. Can't do it. Busy. Oh, yeah, you got a show to do. But you wouldn't want us really associated with oh, that true. type of, of an event. I don't know if we could quite pull off what they're expecting from a keynote. When I speak, I tend to, like, pound on the podium furiously. Takes and your shoes off. Scream. Cruise chef, you know. Yeah. yeah. Do you do that? I, I, it's a nervous tick that I'm working on. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Yeah, never mind. You know what? I'll cover it. I got nothing else going on. And I'll just go off on the mustache conspiracy with the Superman and the yeah. Justice League movie. And you don't want that. These people aren't interested. Right. No, that's true. That's totally I, true. I would tell you there's probably like 10 people in there that would just be riveted by that information. Oh, yeah. Riveted. Like Superman has a mustache? No way. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Henry Cavill? What? That's probably what the other people are thinking. Right, right. now I'm thinking who is Henry Cavill. Anyway, we, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Superman. We can tell you. No, 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 no. We've got been, about 12 minutes who does? Is that enough? No, no, no. Can don't we even feel... worry about it. Okay. No, don't even worry about it. I don't even want to know. Uh, we'll get to Mr. Cavill. No. Actually, we'll do that in Jeff's show. At the end of this hour, I'm done for the week. Jeff then takes over the final hour of the Matt Townsend show, screen cleaning with Jeff Simpson. I was going to say Jeffrey Lamar Simpson. Yeah. Because I always say that, but it's... um. Just screen cleaning. With Have Jeff you ever, where do you look for movie reviews when you're deciding what movie to go see? I I just go to um, IMDb. Okay, and just look it up. All right. So you focus more they give on the Rotten Tomatoes review. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Because I I don't trust anybody that thinks they know anything about movies. What do you? Sorry. What? Sorry. Except for you, of course. Hmm. And screen cleaning. And yet the few movies that I've recommended to you that you've actually gone out of your way to watch, you have not really enjoyed all that much. <laughs> well, some of them are a little, yeah, 
quirky. You didn't enjoy the burbs or a yeah. mighty wind? Yeah, those were kind of weird. Hmm. Anywho, uh, screen cleaning. It'll be. We'll do a little preview of what's coming up on Jeff's show at the end of uh, this hour. Also today we're going to be talking about empty news, lots of important information out there, um, what not to do. If you're a fugitive, you probably ought not be flagging down a sheriff. Right. That, you know. that may be the point. Like Maybe you're trying to wave down cars. You see it's a cop. You just kind of turn and act like you weren't yeah. doing anything. You're just yeah. walking down the side of the road, mind your own business. Not a good idea. Not, yeah. Also yeah. not a good idea to um, to fake a 911 call yeah. for something as trivial as help, having someone help you find their phone. I don't know. Was it a nice phone? I doubt it. Okay. This is an interesting story because I, we're going to use this story to gauge whether or not – so I want you to leave the age out – and then I want uh, I want us to figure out or try to guess if this person is a millennial or not. Oh, okay. The so millennial. Don't, don't mention the age. Okay, I want. And then you can guess. Also, we'll be talking about how many times a week is too many times to rob a donut shop. Oh, because there's apparently like a rule. Yeah. Like See, you, and if, you, if you don't know, yeah. you can make a really horrible mistake. Yeah, you can't you can't keep robbing. A donut shop, yep. same donut but shop. But if you rob it three times, that's when you get the free donut holes. <laughs> yeah. If, if they have a loyalty card, I yeah. mean, you get a punch, <laughs> you right? You get your, your, your loyalty <laughs> card punched every single week. So we'll get to all of those stories. Plus, of course, uh, coming up, Eileen Kennedy-Moore will be talking to us about growing friendships, a kid's guide to making and keeping friends, which isn't an easy thing. But there's a lot of things kids do developmentally that are totally normal. Like right. when they don't want to play with somebody – it's totally normal. Or when two of them ostracize a third, totally normal. Just let it happen? Well, huh. understand it. Understand what they're oh, doing and understand why. I thought why we were doing they... like a Lord of the Flies thing no. here. But there's a reason they can't. They just developmentally, they're not at a stage where they can do three. Can you hand right. me the conch, by the way? The conch cell? cell? So I could, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll get you that. We'll pass the conch so you can talk. Is that why? All that excitement straight ahead. Uh, plus, um, you know. We'll see how the throat hangs out. Maybe my right. if my throat explodes, then you guys have to carry on my day. Carry on. Carry on. But first, let's get to Terry with the headlines. Terry, what's up? The Dutch manufacturer of the ride that killed an 18-year-old man who just enlisted in the Marines and injured seven other people at the Ohio State Fair in, uh, instructed uh, uh, what operators on Thursday to suspend the use of similar rides. Have you seen this video? No. Someone took it with their cell phone. Oh, boy. And you can see the ride fall apart and no the way. car uh, that the, everyone's sitting in kind of fly off the machine. And Terrifying. Horrible. It uh, says the notice from KMG International came as a several states said they had temporarily shut or were further inspecting rides similar to the Fireball attraction, which police in Columbus, Ohio, said flung the victims into the air on Wednesday after their seats snapped off. Oh, brother. So now at least nine other states, a New Jersey County Fair, Canadian City, they said they're all suspending or re-inspecting similar rides. The ride was inspected, what, three times? But as they, because, you know, they, it's a it's a fair, so you're yeah. looking at some sort of, like, carnival-type situation, and they bring the ride in, they build it on the spot, it was inspected three times, it passed oh. all inspections, and then it broke. And Scary. it's just horrible. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I never feel safe when I go to the local. Little, I don't know if it's fair. worth watching that because you'll never want to get on the ride again. No, but yeah, the okay. rides are all similar, and I don't know. They're held together with cotter pins, and you're like, "How's this safe?" Yeah, <laughs> so something's not right here. Police in New York State may soon have a high tech way of catching texting drivers, a device known as the Textalizer, that allows <laughs> an officer to quickly check if a cell phone has been used 
in uh, before a crash. So Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo on Wednesday directed the governor's traffic safety committee to examine the technology and the questions about privacy and civil liberties in its use. The device is called, as, as I said, the textilizer because it's similar to the breathalyzer, hmm. which is used to identify drunken drivers. Once plugged into a person's phone for about a minute, the textilizer will indicate whether a motorist was texting, emailing, surfing the web, or otherwise using his or her cell phone before the serious crash. Supporters of the technology say the officer would not be able to access personal information on the phone, such as pictures, emails, or web browsing. History, uh, digital privacy, and civil liberties groups already have questioned whether the technology's use would violate personal privacy, noting that police can already obtain search warrants if they believe information on a private phone would be useful. Wow. So you have a machine, they just plug it in, and it can pull the information without unlocking the phone. And so where's the privacy laws there? Well, and I guess there's an inherent assumption that you were distracted and that's what caused the accident. Yeah, and they want after the wreck, after a serious uh, you know, situation like that, they'd want to check your device. But just because you were listening to music or whatever you were doing doesn't mean you were distracted by that. I mean, you could just have easily have spilled your fries, and they don't have a fryalizer. Right. Washington State just passed a law that says if you are in your car behind the wheel and you touch your phone, it's a four hundred dollar fine. Wow. wow. What if you touch? What if you don't touch your phone? Yeah. But you're steering with your knee, huh. and you're putting makeup on, right? And uh, taking the curlers out of your hair like a woman I saw today. Well, <laughs> is does she get fined? It, I, I believe the law is about all distracted driving, okay, so I'm good. not sure what okay, the extent good. of That's them good. are. Maybe hair Just curlers checking. aren't covered. What I'm about sure. a hamburger? Yeah. What about a hamburger and a drink <laughs> in both hands? Well, wait, does it? And have, you're steering with your teeth. Does it have fry sauce on it? Yeah. Ooh. Honolulu on Thursday became the first major city in the U.S. to make it illegal for people to look at their phones and other electronic devices while walking across the street. Oh yeah, that's. The bill will take effect October 25th. Also bans people from peering down at digital cameras, pagers, and laptops. Holy cow, we are pathetic. The first time a person is cited, they'll be fined $35. It goes up there to 75 for a second offense and on up. Is it, let me ask you, do you think it's better to make legislation like that, or would it be better to just let these people get hit by cars? At some level, you're like, we could just do some thinning of the herd here. Yeah, culling. <laughs> These people are just, you know, if you can't handle your electronics, maybe, you know. Right. But is that, is, I think we're all supposed to protect people well, and if they're morons, but, we need to pass a law. But the law is not going to help the moron because the moron's going to still be on mm-hmm. their device. Maybe if they'll learn their lesson when they have to pay the it, fine. But again, that's just as substituting, that's creating tax revenue. for It's the moron tax. Well, there's a moron tax in a lot of things. Okay. What, uh, wait, what about the people that read books in cars? Have you ever seen that? Oh, I love reading a good book while I drive. Does the does the amount of the ticket depend on how good the book is yeah, or how bad the classic, book is? classic, I think you get a pass. So read Dickens. Oh, yeah. Right. But if you're reading and, uh, like a them, Harlequin romance. Yeah. Ooh, it's one of them ooh. trashy supermarket novels. No. Mm-hmm. no. Right. Fabio's on the cover. <laughs> They'll lock you up for that. The uh, Apple is ending the iPod Nano and iPod Shuffles. They're getting rid of them finally. They're gone. They're not updating them. They're not on the website. They're gone. gone. They I, and I, I have one of the original ones. It looks like a stick of gum. Yeah. I love it. What do you love about it? I just It's very convenient to wear that instead of trying to figure out my cell phone, which is huge when you're running. 
Yeah, that's true. Right? So I have a little music player. It's easily But it probably portable. makes it so you don't pay as much attention, so you're less likely to get hit by a car. Well, right? I'm not focusing on the fact that I'm dying as I'm running. That's, that's a good point. Really Wait, good didn't point. they also get rid of running? No, running is still a thing. That's still happening. Yeah. So okay. There's a new study out called Bacterial Transfer Associated with Blowing Out Candles on a Birthday Cake. Oh, because you're blowing bacteria? Because you're, you're spitting all over a cake and then sharing it with all your friends and family. So the question from Paul Dawson, a professor of food safety at Clemson, how much bacteria is actually on that cake? Mm. Uh, Don't ask that. There was, of course, a lot of bacteria. But what surprised Dawson was how much of it seemed to vary from blow to blow. Uh. On average, blowing out the candles increased the amount of bacteria on the frosting by 14 times. But in one case, it increased the amount of bacteria by more than 120 times. Boy. Whoa. I guess it depends on the kid blowing <laughs> so some and whether pe- or not you have your teeth in. <laughs> some people blow on the cake and they don't transfer any bacteria, whereas you have one or two people who really, for whatever reason, transfer a lot of bacteria. They really, like, dig deep. Yeah. Some people <laughs> Still, Dawson says, birthday parties should not be ruined. It's not a big health concern in my perspective. He said, in reality, if you did this 100,000 times then the chances of getting sick would probably be very minimal, right? So we have lots of really, like, strong bacteria in our mouth, mm-hmm. but it's not the kind of bacteria that makes you sick. So maybe, yeah, I would do this with my kids because their bacteria is my bacteria. But right. maybe when you're going to a work party hmm. and someone's blowing out and they're having a really hard time blowing out their 63 <laughs> candles. He says if birthday cake significantly contributed to the spread of deadly diseases, it would be obvious now by a given, uh, you know. Yeah, people would have people died, would by died by now. He says it's probably avoid the cake if the candle blower is sick. That's just common sense. Yeah, like right now, if I had a cake, we wouldn't do it. Well, yeah. the fact that you're eating cake in the first place, that's probably the more dangerous part. Yeah. Is it? The though? calories. Oh, yeah. Apparently, there's a patent out for a sanitary birthday cake cover and candle system <laughs> consisting of a cake holder and cover with a lot of holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you just see though? There's that. There's that one mom that's going to have that at the birthday party. Oh yeah, and then that kid will get beat up at school. These are the ruiners of fun. Absolutely. That, that's why Boy. we do cupcakes. It's a great idea because then you put the candles for the little kid. He blows out his, and everybody has their own individual, and you don't have a. See, so you thought this through. Well, kids are like gross. Wait, you guys so. are sharing the cake? Oh, no. I didn't know. Yeah, no, usually oh. I just blow out my candles and then I walk away with the cake. Yeah. yeah. I thought that's what you're supposed to do. And then everyone else stands around me with like a paper plate and a fork waiting. Can and I, I just some? walk away. Can I help you guys? And I said, do you guys know how many germs there are on this thing? There's a ton of bacteria. This is a public health crisis. By the way, speaking of a public health crisis, I found this story that somehow Terry overlooked. You think. I may have it. You probably do have it. It's, it's a tragedy, but it also shares with us – the circle of life. Mm. So a bear, French farmers are now really mad at uh, researchers in France about – because they're reintroducing brown bears into the Pyrenees. Okay. Okay. So um, – They need a top-level carnivore. Yeah. Okay. Now, now listen though. More than 200 sheep ended up plunging to their death. Really? In the Pyrenees. Wow. Because a brown bear was chasing – a flock of sheep. They just ran off a cliff? And got he got a hold of one of them, but the rest of them kept running right off a cliff. Did that happen, or did someone, like, cast Legion into them and then... No. That's another story. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's a different story. So in southwest France, um, the bear apparently chased off a 200-meter cliff um, a flock of panicked 
There were 209 in the flock, I guess. 169 sheep were found at the bottom of the cliff the next day. Wow. Whoa. That's a lot of wool. Isn't that amazing? So this begs the question, would you rather be eaten alive by a bear or plunged to your death? With 168 of your friends. I guess, the, yeah, you don't, you don't have yeah. to go alone. I'd want to go with my friends. Yeah. Because this, and I'd, I'd want to be a follower there. Oh, yeah. Because you'd have a softer landing, it seems like. But isn't it wow. interesting that we – so if, if a bear chases 200 sheep off a cliff mm. and nobody is there to see it, did it still happen? Well, whoa. There's probably – I mean there's the evidence at the end of the situation there. Well, yeah, but – Someone stumbles across the – It's because we have all of these – you know, we have all these animal rights people and let the bears be bears, let the yeah. sheep be sheep. Right. But this is a tragedy. This is a mass murder. Yeah. They're, and no one's talking about it. It's a sheep lemming situation. Yeah. yeah. It is a sheep lemming. Schlemming. A schlemming situation. So just think about it, you know. People don't even care about this story because it's just nature. Yeah. But now we're blaming the people that are reintroducing the bears. Mm. So is it really the is it the is it the naturalist that's reintroducing the bear to blame here, or is this just the nature of animals? This story has really affected you. Or are sheep dumb? And are sheep just really <laughs> stupid? <laughs> And maybe it was at night. I think it was at night, so they probably couldn't oh, see the cliff. Okay, maybe that's it. And stop, stop, stop. <laughs> then the next thing you know, they're just boom, boom, boom. They're just hitting each They're running into each other. I think pretty much everyone stopped, yeah. but then the one behind them ran right into them and pushed them right off the edge. Actually, yeah. I think they were counting each other on the way down, and they all fell asleep. One. So they really didn't feel anything. Two. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Just a thought. That's I just tra- want you to think tragic. about it. So. People want to blame somebody here. Is it the is it the rancher that just left his sheep up on a cliff? I mean, we've how many times have we said on the show, don't let your sheep graze on a cliff because you're one bear attack away from losing the whole herd. And didn't your didn't your mom tell you that? Yeah, good old mom, a sheep herder from Utah. Anyway, deep thoughts right there. Thoughts you don't get on any other radio show. Going to miss those sheep. We'll take a break. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking with Eileen Kennedy Moore, Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends. That's up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, friendship is a complicated thing for anybody, really, but even more difficult maybe for our kids. Almost every child struggles socially at some time in some way, having an argument with a friend, getting teased, maybe being left out, um, uh, or even trying to just find a buddy or somebody that they can go to recess with. There are common problems, but they can uh, also... Uh, they, they, we may not worry about them because we think oh, kids will be kids, but sometimes these problems can be very painful. With research-based practical solutions and plenty of true-to-life examples, our next guest is a returning guest, Eileen Kennedy Moore, has broken it down for us in her book, Growing Friendships, and we're excited to have her here to, to help us understand our kids and, and, and giving them some tools to be a better friend. Eileen Kennedy Moore, thank you so much for your time and being with us. 
Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me back on the show. You bet. Now, I mean, some of this is natural, but these kids go through developmental stages, and it's hard to be a friend when you're young. I mean, you don't even know. I don't know. It just seems like you might be a selfish friend when you're a younger kid because it's all about (laughs) you. Absolutely true, yes. So what we see developmentally is a, a, a series of stages of friendships. And the little ones, the three- to six-year-olds, are in what I call the I-want-it-my-way stage. Mm. So they, they very much are interested in having friends, but they're not so, so good at being reliable friends. So this is when we'll, we'll hear kids say things like, you're not my friend today, just because <laughs> they want to do something different yeah. <laughs> than what the friend does. Right. Then when we get to the early elementary years, the five- to nine-year-olds, that's what I call the what's-in-it-for-me stage. So here the kids can go beyond the current situation, um, but they have kind of a, a transactional view of friendship as, as something that friends do something nice for me. They care a lot about friendship, but they can also do bargaining, like I won't be your friend if you do that, or mm. I'll be your best friend if you do this, or you can't come to my birthday party Yeah, <laughs> you hear that one around. Then around age 7 to 12, kids are in the by-the-rule stage. So here they're very concerned about fairness, but they think about it in a very rigid way. So if they do something nice for a friend, the friend better do something nice for them. They're also very judgmental about both themselves and other kids. So we hear things like, no one will like me because of my stupid haircut. Right. This is the age where they invent secret clubs, and they spend a lot of time talking about the rules and who's in and who's who's out. But those clubs don't tend to last long, and they don't tend to do much. <laughs> right. Then around age eight to fifteen, we get we start to th- get what we as adults think more of friendship. So this is the caring and the sharing stage, and here they're not so much keeping score. Um, and they'll they'll confide feelings and thoughts in friends, and they know how to compromise. But they often have the joined at the hip kinds of friendships. So especially girls, they may they may have a best friend um, who they expect to do everything with them, and feel deeply betrayed if a friend goes and does something with another kid. And then finally, at age twelve and up, that's when we have a more mature friendship. The friends through thick and thin, and th- these kids. They value emotional closeness, and they can accept and even appreciate differences between them and their friends. And they're also not not quite as possessive as they were at an earlier age. Mm. Is it I – because, mean, boy, when you went over every one of those stages, I remember having run-ins with my kids thinking, oh, you can't say that. You can't do that. You, yeah. And so th- these are all just natural developmental stages. Exactly. All kids go through these at different rates, and they can go backwards <laughs> sometimes and, and regress to an earlier stage. But what fuels this development from the little kids, I want it my way, to that friends through thick and thin, is an increasing ability to understand someone else's perspective. And that is something that parents can absolutely help with. We can help them imagine what the other person might be thinking and feeling and start helping them be aware of that. Hmm. What do you, like, give us the reason why friendships are so important. I mean, it kind of seems, I I think a lot of us think, well, that's obvious. But, I mean, they also, relationships can and friendships can be incredibly damaging and hurtful. So what's the benefit of having them? 
Well, you, you raise a good point that having bad friends, friends who are mean to you or who get you involved in unfortunate activities, that's certainly not good. But having good friends, it's, it's really impossible to overstate how important that is for kids. If you want a kid to feel happier, help them make friends. You want a kid to be more engaged in school, help them make friends. You want a kid to be less likely to be bullied, help them make friends. Hmm. It's part of their identity. Do I belong? Am I someone likable? That's, that's essential, isn't it? Absolutely. There's even one study that found that fifth graders who have a reciprocal best friend, meaning somebody who likes them back, they like them, the other person likes them back, have better self-worth 23 years later. Hmm. Now, this is a correlational study, and we could say, well, maybe there's something else that causes both the friendship and the better self-worth, but... The friendships really, really matter in the sense of how how kids come to view themselves. Boy, and it's um, I mean, I guess in the end, this is this is their life. This is make or break, right? <laughs> Friendship is kind of the point in life, and, and I knew you, you put a lot of emphasis on relationships. Yeah, it's it's the point of life. <laughs> We're here to to build strong relationships, to care about other people. That's powerful. Is give us like I guess I mean because parents also. We tend to obsess. We tend to worry when we don't need to. I mean, knowing that there's these developmental stages of that that the kids are going to go through as they're learning and understanding friends from every different angle. What what really should parents be worried about when it comes to their child's ability to to get and grow friends? Well, we do want to be careful not to overreact to the little ebbs and flows in friendships. So your daughter might come home today and be in tears about the big argument that she had with her best friend, and then you may be up late worrying about this thing, and then she comes home from school the next day and you go, so how are things going with Samantha? She goes, oh, fine. (laughs) You're like, well, why did you put your parents through this? (laughs) Or your son may come home and say he hates Stuart's guts, but then next week he and Stuart are best friends. So there are a lot of ups and downs in children's friendships because their empathy skills and their problem-solving skills aren't fully developed, so we would expect this. But I think what we need to worry about is can the ch- so and there are also different styles of relating. So some kids have a quieter style of interacting, and that's absolutely fine. But we want to ask ourselves, can our child be social when he or she wants to? We also, the main diagnostic question that I ask of parents is, does your child have someone to sit with at lunch? And somebody who your child enjoys their company and the other child likes them back. That, they don't need a lot of friends, but at least one or two buddies that they can hang out with. That's really important. Hmm. So true, isn't it? And it really is. I mean, that's a powerful question. Do they have someone to eat lunch with? And again, because now we're learning more and more, it seems like, um, about introversion, about ambiversion and extroversion. I mean, not everybody is going to necessarily be an outgoing extrovert, but it does. But you you need friends. Right. Social skills doesn't require that we're a life-of-the-party extrovert. Um, there's certainly room in the world for a quieter style of interacting. But the difference between introversion and extroversion is really about where do we get our energy. So an introvert can absolutely enjoy a party, but they come home exhausted. Yeah. An extrovert will definitely enjoy a party and come home energized. So introversion isn't a sign that you have to be friendless at all. 
And that's that's so important, right? I mean, you, you and you need the skills no matter what. So that's as parents, we need to make sure they're at least tooled and skilled. Absolutely. So with kids who withdraw socially, we get kind of a negative cycle. So they're nervous about being around other kids, and then they avoid being around other kids, and then they get—they um, don't have a chance to develop the skills that their peers are developing. So then they, when they are with other friends, they're more likely to get negative feedback, which makes them avoid more, and we've got the whole vicious cycle going. Mm. So as parents, we want to intervene. If you see that going on with your kid, step in. This is really important. And you can step in by creating opportunities for your child to get together with other friends, similar-minded people, and also coaching them on the, sc- the skills of how to get along with people. Mm. Give, us, um, give us just kind of a, an, one of the skills, and we'll come back and get deeper into the skills, but what are some of the, the friendship skills or abilities that we need uh, to make sure we hand down to our kids? Sure. In Growing Friendships, we talk about five broad friendship skills, reaching out to make friends, stepping back to keep friends, blending in to join friends, speaking up to share with friends, and letting go to accept friends. So notice that a bunch of those are opposites, and that's because friendship skills are never about doing one thing. They're about flexibly adjusting our behavior to fit the situation. And that flexibility really is is probably going to help more than just being a good friend. This will help you be flexible in all relationships. I think that's really true. Friendship is is kind of the the testing ground for children's future relationships. Matt, the number one reaction I get when parents read Growing Friendships is, this applies to adults, (laughs) and it absolutely does, because friendship skills aren't something that we learn at age nine and then we're done. Even as adults in new relationships and new situations, we're continuing to learn about getting along with people. It's so true, isn't it? Okay, let's do this. Let's take a break. We'll we'll continue this discussion with Eileen Kennedy Moore and her book, uh, Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and keeping friends. That's all up next. We're going to get into uh, some of the tools and some of the things to watch out for and really kind of invest in. That's up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Eileen Kennedy-Moore. Eileen has a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. She has a practice based in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. She's a mother of four. And her newest book, Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends, um, is in the stores. You can you can find it there. You can also go to her website, uh, EileenKennedyMoore.com, a great, uh, just a great site and a great resource for everyone. Eileen, again, thank you for your time and being with us. Thank you, Matt. So, kids, they're they're you know they're they're going to do what they're going to do. It's their their developmental stages as they're going through each of these stages. They have to kind of grow through certain abilities with people to get to the next ability with a friend. What um, what are some things that you would suggest? I know in the book you teach a, a variety of principles. What are some of the principles that we as parents really need to know today to make sure that we, we put them on the right path in, in their friendship world? Well, one thing that's really important to understand is that kids are most likely to make friends with someone who is similar to them. 
And what I often tell people is that kids make friends by doing fun things together. Think hard about what your child enjoys doing that could be done with peers and try to make opportunities for that. Nowadays, our lives are so busy that it's easy to just kind of think, ah, they'll be fine at school or they'll be fine at daycare. But one-on-one playdates are the single best thing that parents can do to help kids deepen their friendships. Spending that extra time together outside of school really says to the other kid, I like you, I want to get to know you better, and it fortifies the friendship. Mm. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like, it, it's, it, this, it, this seems like, I, I don't know, I grew up thinking it was all so much more natural. You just kind of do everything naturally, but... You know, there's a lot of things maybe that are throwing off our kids game because it seems more natural maybe to play a video game than to to get out and and have an adventure. Right. And video games are here to stay. (laughs) Yeah, they're not going anywhere, are they? Right. So but we we need to be good guides for our children and sometimes put some important limits on what they're doing. So. We know from research that when parents have at least some rules regarding how much time, electronic time, kids spend, they do on average nearly three hours a day less electronics. Wow. Compared to families where there are no rules. So step it up. You've got to give them some guidance. Children, by definition, lack perspective. They just haven't been around yeah. <laughs> long enough to develop that. We need to be in charge of that. So video games can be a great way for kids to have fun together. They are exciting, and it's something that they can have in common with friends. But it's also a very limited kind of communication. I mean, think about the difference between sitting and playing a a video game shoulder to shoulder versus tossing a ball where you're looking at each other and responding and directly interacting. So I don't think we can get rid of the video games completely, but we want to make room for other kinds of interactions with kids. Mm, That's great. Great advice. What are some, when you think of some of the bigger problems that you hear with children and their friendships, what are some of those problems? So the, the most basic skill is being able to reach out to make friends. And shy children in particular have trouble with this. And they often struggle with a very simple greeting. So they'll, another kid will say hi to them, and they'll kind of cringe and look away or maybe mumble something. And unfortunately, the message that they're sending is, I don't like you, and I don't want anything to do with you. That's not how they're feeling, but that's what they're communicating. So if this sounds like your child, help them learn how to do a friendly greeting. And you do that by you look the person in the eye, or if that's uncomfortable for your child, have them look the other person in the forehead, right between the eyebrows, because mm. nobody can tell the difference if you're looking someone in the forehead or looking them in the eyes. Then you smile because you're happy to see the person, you say hi, and if you can, you say the person's name. That's great. This is something that you can practice at home. If your child isn't buying into it, you may want to have them just go to school and count how many greetings the other kids do. And that can help them realize, oh, everybody's doing this all the time. That's great. Yeah. And, and you're giving your child something to do. And because they have something to do, they, they're, I guess they're acting instead of just fearing. Exactly. exactly. And it's, a lot of social interaction isn't you know, witty banter. <laughs> a lot of it is very formulaic. So, for instance, um, one thing that I teach kids is if they 
if, say, an adult comes and says, how are you or how's school? The answer is great plus one fact. So great conveys enthusiasm, which is much more attractive than, oh, fine. Um, and the one fact gives something that the other person can imagine, and that's a stepping stone to conversation. So great, my soccer team won this weekend. Oh, who are you playing? And now we get, we've got a conversation. Or how's school? Great, in social studies, we're, we're studying Native Americans. Oh, what are you learning? And now we've got a conversation. They can also ask what and how questions to other people and, and find to get them talking. The best conversationalists are people who get the other person talking. Boy, it's so true. And again, by breaking it down, you, you really have, you simplify, you almost make an equation that it seems like if they, a protocol, for example, that they can jump into instead of not knowing. Right. Instead of feeling adrift, instead of doing that awkward self-focus, which is like trying to run while <laughs> staring at your toes, you're yeah. probably going to bump into something. But, but some of the things that we find, because um, growing friendships draws from research as much as possible. And one of the things that, that I found really interesting is the research about how kids join groups. So as adults, we tend to say, why don't you go over to that group and um, ask if you can play? Hmm. Wrong idea. Because think about it, what's going to happen? Your kid walks over there, the other kids have to stop what they're doing, turn around, look at your kid, and decide if they want your kid to join. This is just too much of an opening for the mischievous kids to say, no, you can't play, ha, ha, ha. So what research tells us is that kids who successfully join a group do it without drawing attention to themselves. Isn't that interesting? Totally. Yeah, so, so the way we, we teach it is... Watch, then blend. And it's kind of like merging onto a highway. So if you're, if, there are two ways to mess up. If you're just sitting there on the entrance ramp watching the cars go by, you're never going to get where you want to be. But if you just kind of barge in without figuring out what everybody else is doing, then, well, there's a big crash. So watch what the other kids are doing and then slide into the action without interrupting it. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. I teach my kids that principle a lot, and but they don't see it. And that, like you're saying, you could send them and say, just notice. Notice how others do it. Spend this week noticing how others do it, and, and let's use some of their cues. Yeah, you can be a, so- a social detective. The watch them blend also applies for older kids in terms of conversations. So here the idea is you want to match the emotional tone of the group. So imagine a group of kids, and they're complaining about the social studies test. And then our girl comes in and says, well, I thought it was easy. Oh, this is like, you know, the melody's going on, la, 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 and then there's a big, a big sour note. Yeah. So she certainly doesn't and shouldn't pretend to be stupid. I mean, deceit is never a good basis for friendship. But she can say something that matches the emotional tone. So she could say something like, I can't believe there were four short answer questions. The flip side is also true. If the people are excited about something, so let's say there's a group of boys and they're all um, excited about their fidget spinners. And our boy comes in and says, well, those are stupid. I mean, they're just a marketing thing and they're going to blow over pretty soon. That may or may not be true, but it is certainly not a good way to join this group. So what this child needs to do is either um, give a compliment or ask a question to show interest 
in it. Or he needs to find another group where they all hate the fidget spinners. And right. <laughs> Dane fits in. It's true, huh? Is, um, I guess it's not enough to just expect your kid to know how to do this, is it? This is These are just little facts, little things that, I mean, some are maybe attentive enough to notice it, but it doesn't need, just because they do it right doesn't mean they're doing it for the right reason. <laughs> well, I, I think every child brings a unique constellation of strengths and struggles to the social world. And we want to, as parents, we want to fan the flames on their strengths and help them address some of the ways that they, should, that they struggle. Now, one thing that comes up is the big argument with a friend. And here, as parents, we need to tread very gently. This is not the time when our, our ch- child is very upset to say, well, see, didn't I tell you if, this, if you did this, this would continue? When, the, when our kids are hurting, they just need the compassion. They just need a little extra loving um, from us. So save the constructive conversation until your child is feeling a little bit steadier. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, when as as we as we kind of wind down and wrap up, what if if there was one or two things that are core, critical that we as parents should be paying attention to first and foremost? What would those things be? Kindness is the key to friendship. We talk in Growing Friendships about what I call the magnet myth of friendship, which is the belief that they have to be so amazing and wonderful that they draw friends to them the way a, mag- a magnet attracts steel. Mm. And this is, this is just completely wrong, because friendship is not about impressing. It's about connecting. So as parents, everything we do to support what's the kind choice is wonderful and it really helps kids to to build good relationships i I think that's true for marriages i think it's true for work relationships i think it's true for parenting and it's certainly true for children's friendships what is the kind choice should be our guiding question great stuff and i think for all of us eileen kennedy moore wonderful insight the book growing friendships a kid's guide to making and keeping friends also go to her website eileenkennedymore.com and, uh, and continue to get more and more information. Boy, folks, it's not, it's, it's not easy, but it's not also that hard. It comes back to just basic kindness, goodness, and, and making sure we're telling our kids how important that is to, to remain kind and be kind. Up next, folks, we'll wrap up uh, this second hour of the program, give you the tools, the information you need, as well as doing some empty news and and a little preview of what will be coming up in the final hour of the show on screen cleaning with Jeff Simpson. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. It's that time of the week when we get to now uh, shoot it um, in just about four minutes over to Jeff Simpson and his show, Screen Cleaning. Uh, Jeff, what's going to be coming up on your show? Well, I asked you that question earlier. Where do you go to find out about movies? You mentioned IMDb. I know a lot of people go to Rotten Tomatoes, but we're going to be speaking with our guest today about whether or not Rotten Tomatoes is a good gauge for whether this is going to be a good movie. 
Mm. And a lot of movie studios are blaming Rotten Tomatoes for their movies tanking. Oh, interesting. So who's to blame, Matt? Well, because Rotten Tomatoes, that's what – who's 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 writing on, on Rotten Tomatoes? Is that the viewer's view there, and well, judgment or is that uh, the critics' judgment? Well, we'll talk more about it on the show, but there are critics' reviews and there uh, okay. are audience reviews. Yeah. And sometimes they're way different. So right. that's another thing we're going to be talking oh, about. Okay. Movies that critics loved but the audiences hated mm. and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's a good topic. Oh, yeah. You're going to uh, you're going to cut through all the all the all of the problems and solve Hollywood's problems. And it's also my wife's birthday, so she wanted me to share her five favorite films. Ooh! So I will be providing that list and and maybe saying an, a nice thing or two about what, her. What a wonderful man you are! Well, thank you. And then you got to get home and fix your back your backup <laughs> flow. Hey, uh, we we told you earlier about a man that was arrested for a fake nine one one call. In Daytona, the guy, check this out, he made the fake call to 911 claiming that a woman had been shot just so police would help him find his cell phone. Police responded to the home after 23-year-old Eric Ross told them the woman had been shot inside the home and the man who shot her was still armed. When police found Ross sitting along the northwest corner of the home, they initially questioned him uh, as a possible suspect. Ross admitted that he made the call to, uh, as a plan to get police to come because they wouldn't have come for the phone. Oh, no. No. Of course not. According to the arrest report, Ross said he made the 911 call because he hoped police would help him find the cell phone he thought was inside the house. You know, it's interesting. We talk a lot on the show about whether who's a millennial, who's not a millennial. You're always saying that I am a millennial, yeah, which I much. don't believe at all. Okay. But I think if you're calling the police to help you find your lost cell phone, I think it can only mean one thing. You're a millennial. So true. Who else would do that? We would never think of that. That's letting the cops in. You don't want to do that. Good stuff. Also, by the way, if you are planning on robbing a donut shop, uh, once a week is bad enough, but twice a week. 26-year-old Virginia man has been charged with robbing a donut store twice a week. Uh, Alan Harrell is accused of robbing the amazing glazed on Sunday and again on Tuesday in Chesapeake. So, you know, he just he just needed to get back there. But again, don't be a greedy thief. Again, by the way, this might also be a millennial. Have you ever had those Chesapeake Donuts? Mmm. Mmm. Donuts. <laughs> Sounds so good. Hey, there you go, folks. That's the show. And again, up next, Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. You're not going to want to miss it. It's a great addition to the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, one straight hour working on everything to creating a healthier life with your mobile devices. Also, what movies you should be maybe looking into and uh, in a healthier, cleaner view as well of the of your media choices all of that straight ahead in just about 15 seconds or so until uh, monday take care of yourself make it a great one we'll talk again monday welcome to the sc news desk this is ron brokaw Front yards are being ripped up in a San Jose neighborhood, and while residents are well aware of who the culprits are, there is very little they can do. The torn-up lawns are the work of wild pigs on a feeding frenzy. They strike in the middle of the night, digging up lawns in the evergreen neighborhood of South San Jose. 
About 20 of the wild boars have destroyed more than half a dozen lawns in the neighborhood over the past week. Kevin McFatridge, one of the poor, unfortunate souls affected by feeding frenzy, says his front lawn looks like a war zone. The pigs even took out his geranium plants. We can handle a little patch here or there, but our entire lawn is gone now, and that's very frustrating, McFatrick said. If you live in San Jose, please keep an eye out for these pesky pigs. And whatever you do, don't let them get to your geraniums. We'll bring you updates on this terrifying tale as they become available. We now take you live to Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. Well, thank you, Ron Brokaw, for that. That's a scary story. We need to be on the lookout for those pigs. Have you ever seen a pig tear up a lawn like that, Reed? I haven't, but I have seen javelinas with those big. (gasps) I mean, they could probably do the trick. I haven't seen them take out a lawn, but. I wouldn't want to let any one of those animals near my lawn. Well, now they could do it because it's totally dead. Anyway, we're working on that. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson. Today I'm joined by Reed Wolfley. Hello. Reed, thanks for being on the show with me today. No problem. And uh, it's going to be a great show. On Screen Cleaning, we are all about helping you save your Fridays and Saturday nights by providing you with ideas for entertainment that is clean for the whole family. And uh, you might think it's a difficult task, but if you look a little closer, it's, it's easier than you think. We're here every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143. And uh, what we try to do every, every show uh, to, to start off the show is to give you the best in entertainment news. So we're going to do just that. We're going to give you the best of entertainment news over the past week. Now, in the best trailer news... I want you to play this music and and give people a little hint of what's coming up. As you know, D23 and Comic-Con happened recently. A lot of trailers coming out, a lot of big announcements coming out in the way of TV shows and movies. One of which was they released the trailer to Season 2 of Stranger Things. And this, of course, is the Stranger Things theme. Have you seen this show, Reed? I have. And what do you think? Excellent. Have you seen the trailer? I have seen. To season two. Well, I saw maybe like the trailer preview. The preview for the trailer. Like it was very short. Yeah. It was just like the boys on the bikes like staring up into the sky. Yeah. So So I don't think you've seen this. This is an extended trailer, which... I don't mind watching uh, trailers to TV shows because there, it's hard to spoil what's going to happen over the course of 10 hours right. versus what happens over the course of two hours, which is what you get in a Marvel movie, which they release 10, 20 different trailers. Yeah. So it's easy for those movies to be spoiled. But anyway, it looks great. A lot of throwbacks to 80s movies. Uh, uh, the Goonies and Ghostbusters, they play the game Dragon's Lair at an arcade, which is a great game. So, yeah, that's coming out October 27th, and I'm so excited. Same. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be great. In our best parody news, somebody did something very clever. You know that Ron Howard is the new director for the Han Solo movie he's taking mm-hmm. over, 
And Ron Howard is also the producer and narrator for the hilarious show Arrested Development. And he narrates every episode. And he is a very recognizable voice by now. And somebody took clips from Star Wars movies and made it seem like it was an Arrested Development type show. And so we're going to play you a little clip from the spoof Arrested Rebellion. You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? He didn't. Should I have? What a piece of junk. It actually looked pretty good. I bought run Imperial Starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Carillion ships now. Both things he just said were lies. She won't get a scratch. Not so. I got it! But he really didn't. Later that night... You love him? Yes. All right. I understand. Although he did have some of the details wrong. He's my brother. Hey, Romano. <laughs> Good news on the Arrested Development front. They are going to do a season five, which will be on Netflix. And hopefully it'll be good news that Ron Howard is taking over the reins for this movie. He's had a lot of hits, but more recently he's had a lot of not-so-great movies like he did Inferno with Tom Hanks, the third uh, Langdon, Robert Langdon movie that pretty much tanked with critics and audiences alike. But... I'm sure he's going to do great things with Han Solo and the Star Wars universe. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, We do have an important update. Uh, Ron Brokaw did mention that we would give you updates on the pig story as as they uh, came available. And uh, the update is that there's actually a new trailer. They're, They're already making a movie about these pigs. And there's a new trailer all about this pig scare and these pigs tearing up lawns and uh, in fact Cole or uh, Reed do you want to play that for us I don't suppose they told you anything about the tragedy we had here last winter well a man named Charles Gravy he was our previous caretaker he came up here with his wife and two children as well as his 20 wild boars and at some point he must have suffered some kind of mental breakdown and he let his boars roam free on the grounds of this hotel. Well, the boars ran amok and completely dug up the lawn on the property and even ate all the geranium plants. You can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. Now, the site is supposed to be built on a wild boar burial ground. I believe they actually had to repel a few wild boar attacks as they were building it. Now, if you're worried about wild boar attacks, you'll want to shine this red light that simulates predators, and that should keep them away. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. Red light. Red light. Red light. Red light. The swining. These hogs will bore you to death.
sound might sound familiar because uh, it's time now for another edition of Silver Lining Cinema. If you're not familiar with this, we've only done it a couple of times, but it's been a while. This is where we, you know, we're going to be talking to our guest here in a few minutes about Rotten Tomatoes and movie studios are blaming Rotten Tomatoes for ruining their box office numbers. And, you know, there are a lot of stinkers out there, a lot of films that critics just pan heavily but uh it's so easy to poo-poo on a movie you know or poo-poo a movie but really it's a little more difficult to find the good in some of these movies that most people would call terrible awful unwatchable bad so we've done that a couple of times and we've we've got a new movie that we are going to review and this one is steel the 1997 movie. It's almost the 20-year anniversary of the film Steel, starring Shaquille O'Neal, or Shaq, if you will. And do you love superhero movies, Reed? Yes, I do. Well, then you are going to love this film. The first thing I want to say about this film, it's uh, based on a DC comic, Steel. Uh, I liked this film better, even better than the other two Silver Lining Cinema movies that I've watched, Daddy Day Camp and Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. So right off the bat, you know, you know this is going to be a good film if it's even better than those two films. So it's about Shaquille O'Neal plays uh, an army man who uh, is in the weapons division and some things happen that you know he's a little disenchanted with his job so he quits and his rival is played by another former weapons army man that he worked with who is selling these weapons these very dangerous weapons to gangs and actually a video game <laughs> mogul and what i like about this video game mogul is that you can tell that he cares about his dental hygiene because the villain walks around every scene that he's in he's picking at his teeth with a toothpick now some people might call that cliche i call that caring about your dental hygiene it's so, important so good for them um another thing that i love about this film is shack's acting there was a scene in the movie where somebody's crushed by what is supposed to be a big concrete slab now if you look a little closer it's actually uh, you know, a block of styrofoam that's been spray painted. But his acting was so good that when he lifted this block of styrofoam off of the person that was crushed, I really believed he was lifting concrete. It was amazing. <laughs> amazing acting. And uh, speaking of great acting, Judd Nelson plays the the rival weapons designer who is selling all the weapons to the to the gang members. It's great to see – if you don't know who Judd Nelson is, he's in The Breakfast Club. He's kind of an angsty kind of a guy. It's great to see him play a villain for once. You know, good for him to change it up a little bit. I love the original dialogue. Uh, lines like, his brother got more time than a clock. Uh, a bank robber screaming, show me the money. Let's get ready to rumble. It's hammer time. Stop. 
It ain't easy being green. I'm getting too old for this. You're about to get the blues as cops are surrounding Steele. You're about to get the blues. And as Shaq uses his magnetic hammer to seize all of the weapons from the bad guys, the line, what a magnetic personality. So just clever and witty dialogue, very original too. I love how they, they most movies, you don't get the, uh, the language edited out of the movie until it arrives on TV or airplanes, you know. Right. This movie just decided we're going to, edit out all the bad words even before we release it to the, to, the, uh, to the movie theaters. So you have lines like, shoot and filthy windows, and where did that son of a buck go? Will you cut the macho bull, and we're in deep stink here. So they just did us the favor of editing out all the language even before it went to the movie theaters, and I, as a parent, really appreciate that. This director is a huge fan of close-ups. Huge, huge fan of uh, close-ups. It seems like every shot is a close-up. So uh, I love that he played to his strengths. There's a clever bit about souffle and how you need to whisper around souffle. And it really – it has a a punchline that really pays off. And, of course – and we'll we'll play this as we go to commercial. There's a one – it's got a great soundtrack. Great hip-hop, R&B, gospel soundtrack, including – This song that is played during the credits, Steal Yourself. And yes, Steal spelled S-T-E-E-L, Steal Yourself. Go check it out. Go check out the soundtrack. You're going to love Steal, starring Shaquille O'Neal. And as I said, it's even better than my other Silver Lining Cinema picks. So we'll be back again, hopefully soon, to give you another pick for Silver Lining Cinema, where we try to look for the good in movies that most people would consider extremely horrible. So when we come when we come back, we're going to be talking with our guest who is going to give us some insight on the website Rotten Tomatoes and talk to us about some other movies that are maybe considered horrible that audiences are just not going to see. And now movie studios are Blaming Rotten Tomatoes for poor box office receipts. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning. Movie studios never really planned to produce box office flops. So why did two of the biggest summer releases, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, and Baywatch, earn way less than they were expected to? Is it the acting? The writing? The marketing? Maybe. But maybe the site Rotten Tomatoes is to blame. Here to talk to us today is Ashley Rodriguez, a reporter that covers media and marketing for Quartz, a digitally native news outlet for business people in the new global uh, global economy. Ashley, welcome to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. 
Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about this because uh, there was a, a time and place where the mighty thumbs up or thumbs down of Siskel and Ebert carried a lot of clout. People really relied on those movie ratings. And, you know, neither of those critics are, are with us anymore. But the the website Rotten Tomatoes is. And I'm curious, I'm curious to know a little bit more about Rotten Tomatoes. I, I use it frequently. But uh, if you could do us a favor, just tell us a little bit about what Rotten Tomatoes is and uh, why people go there to to decide whether or not they should be seeing a certain movie? Sure. Well, Rotten Tomatoes is a movie review site that aggregates reviews from different film critics. So each critic will assign a film either a rotten or a fresh tomato, um, based on Rotten Tomatoes, what they call a tomato reader. And essentially the overall score is determined by the share of tomatoes that are assigned to each film. So if a movie has a 90% fresh rating, it means that 90% of critics gave the movie a fresh tomato and essentially thought it was a good movie. Now, that could be based on tens of reviews, or it could be based on hundreds of reviews, depending on how many submitted for each film. There's also a separate audience score, and that shows you what the share of just average viewers like you or me thought about the movie and whether they liked it. But when you glance at Rotten Tomatoes, what you generally see on the homepage is the critic score. That's what we're looking at, and that's what people are mostly concerned about. So for audiences, it's a really easy way to see whether a film is worth your time, right? You don't have to read through other reviews. But the trouble is that it eliminates some of the nuance that you get from film critics. What they generally do is they'll tell you, you know, a movie may be considered a bad film, It could have poor direction, um, the plot could be lacking, the performance could be underwhelming, but it could still be good fun to watch the theaters. And that's what you kind of lose a little bit when you look at these aggregation sites. Interesting. So, I mean, it it makes it so it's very black or white. You either like the movie or you don't like the movie, when in actuality there's a lot more at play and maybe they – they don't really think it's a great movie, but it's fun, so they'll give it a you know a positive rating. What are some other factors that go into these ratings? Is there can we only rely on the fresh or rotten, or is there some other type of score or gauge on the website by which we can judge these movies? Well, there is a way where you can click in. So this is if you actually click on the title, when you go on the homepage, what you're seeing is the name of the movie and then you're seeing a score that's next to it. If you actually click into the title of the film, then there's a way that you can just see the scores of top critics. So these are critics that have maybe a little bit more clout. Um, They're here regularly. They, based on um, Rotten Tomatoes, they may maybe have a little bit better judgment. And so you can see just what they're thinking. And you can also look at the audience score, which, as I mentioned, it gives you a sense of just whether average viewers like you or me liked watching it. Okay. So what would you say is the difference between aggregated film reviews and film criticism? I think that what you lose a little bit with the aggregation is you lose um, the nuance that the film critic gives you describing what is good and what's bad about the movie so that you can make your own informed choice as a viewer as to whether or not you want to see it. Um, aggregation sites just kind of boil it down into a number as to what the overall general audience thinks. The other thing that you kind of lose with film criticism is you may have a film critic that just um, really kind of gets your taste you align really well with their perspective and they're almost an influencer in a way for you. 
And so you may rely on their reviews a little bit more heavily because they like the same types of movies that you like. You don't really get that, um, that level of detail with aggregation. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Ashley Rodriguez, who is a reporter that covers media and marketing for Quartz. And uh, Ashley, you, you recently wrote an article about how movie studios are complaining that Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it's it's ruining their box office numbers. So do you believe that's true? Well, if we look at the summer box office, and in the U.S., the summer box office we, is defined by a very particular period of time. It starts um, Friday, the first Friday in May, and it runs through Labor Day. And this year, we're down. We've been consistently down about 8%. Um, the last time I checked was a little bit over a week ago, and we were still down about 8% from last year in terms of the overall money that has been brought in from movies. So Interesting. We are see- seeing a little bit of an impact. And the concern from some of these movie studios is that these movies have gotten bad reviews. And we've certainly seen that with Transformers. Um, there's a fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie that was out this year. There have been a lot of movies that just have not gotten good reviews and audiences just haven't shown up. There are other things they could be watching. There are movies on Netflix. You know, there's a, a lot of great television on right now. They don't want to spend the money on a movie that's just not great. But the other concern is that, you know, maybe these movies just aren't great to begin with and aren't going to be drawing audiences. I mean, how excited can you really get over a fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie? (laughs) It's not much different than the last four. Exactly. So why do these movie studios keep making these sequels that seemingly nobody wants to see? Are, Are they just very risk averse? Why do they keep doing this to themselves? That's exactly it. They're relying on properties that are already established and already have an audience because there is so much other competition from things like TV and streaming services. There are a lot of other places for people to get their entertainment these days besides the cinema, and so they're relying on these already established properties. And now when we talk about these movies doing badly here in the U.S., they may lose money here, but they're making it up abroad. Audiences in China, in particular, loved some of these movies. So if we talk about Pirates, Pirates um, brought in about $170 here in the U.S. this summer. On a budget, it cost $230 to make. So it lost money here. But internationally, it brought in about $600 million. So it made a ton of money. And for the studio, for Disney, that's worth it. Interesting. So... Okay, I, I want to kind of change directions here a little bit. Getting back to critics on on Rotten Tomatoes. So, do you think it's fair that these critics, the the, the same critics that maybe are a little more highbrow and have different tastes than somebody who's a little more lowbrow, do you should they all be reviewing the same movies? So, for instance, uh, should a critic that analyzes a comedy be the same critic that comments on a historical drama? You know, that's a really good question because um, some of these films are just shouldn't be looked at in the same way. You know, a superhero movie is generally not going to be an Oscar contender in the same way that a big, expensive drama might be. So someone who's used to that certain type of film shouldn't be judging the other. But generally, a lot of good film critics will weigh these things with a grain of salt, right? That's, again, why we um, prioritize some of the nuances in film criticism, because they will note that, you know, this may not be an amazing film as we look at it as a film, but it's still a good movie. 
Yeah. So you, you do sort of get that level of it there. So it seems like one tactic that comes from movie studios is to just not screen their movie ahead of time for movie critics, maybe because they're confident that it's just going to get trashed by the critics and they're worried at, uh, what that negative score might do to their box office numbers. Do you think it is effective for movie studios to withhold their movie from being criticized before it's released? I think there will definitely be a lot of pushback if we actually see that happen because people are so used to seeing reviews, right? About a week before we start seeing all the reviews for a film and it does build up buzz for a movie. So if you're a movie that, if you're a movie studio and you've got a a number of high profile projects coming out and they're getting good reviews, that is going to help you. But in the same, and the same vein, if they bomb, that's really just going to hurt your performance. So if you're in the business of making lowbrow comedies, maybe it doesn't make sense for you to re- to release or screen your films early for critics just so that they can, you know, hammer on it and then nobody goes to see it. Yeah. And it seems like there are certain movies that people are just going to go see regardless of how terrible the reviews are. I think of Suicide Squad. I think of Adam Sandler movies. People are just oh, yeah. going to go see it no matter what the critics say. <laughs> Exactly. Well, Netflix says um, Netflix is a great example because all of their recent Adam Sandler comedies have terrible reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. But Netflix says that they're some of the most watched movies on the site. So, you know, audiences will watch them if they're there. But the, the, the barrier that that cinemas have or that movie studios have is that they have to get people to pay specifically for this movie. You know, I may just watch it if it's on TV or if it's on Netflix, but to actually shell out eight or nine dollars is a different story. Right. So, you know, speaking of Netflix, they've recently adopted a new rating system, which I'm not a huge fan of. I was a much bigger fan of the star rating system that they had. Uh, Now it's just I think it's you it's recommended for you or it's not recommended for you. Do you Mm -hmm. think um, is there any way that Rotten Tomatoes could change their rating system to make it maybe more similar to Netflix? That would be interesting. So the way that Netflix does it, it's very personalized, right? They have all this data based on what you specifically like. So when you gave all those star ratings, um, and when they changed it, so they changed for, for just anyone who's listening and doesn't know, they changed from five star ratings to a thumbs up and thumbs down for each title. Now, those five-star ratings were always based on what they thought you as a viewer would like and not what the general population of Netflix viewers thought of that particular title. But there was some confusion among Netflix members where they thought it was a quality rating rather than a metric for personalization. So that's why they changed to the thumbs up and thumbs down, just to make that a little bit clearer. So for Rotten Tomatoes to have to do something like that, they would then have to get a sense of what you personally think of each of those films. So it might be a way for them to do it for, you know, people who use Rotten Tomatoes all the time. But I think it would be really challenging in terms of figuring out a score for, like, general viewers. Well, I I have to blame uh, now I have to blame Netflix for not being able to tell if I'm going to like a movie or not. So Netflix is just perpetuating the problem because now I'm just going to Rotten Tomatoes to find out if I'm going to like a certain Netflix show. 
Uh, anyway, exactly, yeah. how you would have to rely on Netflix, what Netflix thinks you like versus what the general audience likes. Right. Ashley, let's do this. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to be doing something that's pretty fun, actually. We are going to be talking about films that critics hated that we like and movies that critics loved that we hated. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143. This is Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson, and I'm speaking with Ashley Rodriguez, who is a reporter that covers media and marketing for Quartz, a digitally native news outlet for business people in the new global economy. And uh, prior to joining Quartz, she was a reporter for Advertising Age, covering retail and financial service marketers. And before that, she worked for digital creative and marketing agencies and was a freelance journalist. Ashley, thanks again for being on Screen Cleaning. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited, and I, I don't want to offend you in, in case mm-hmm. I trash a movie that uh, that you love or I uh, love a movie that you don't love. But uh, I thought you and I could each share a movie, first of all, that had a really low Rotten Tomatoes critic score that you actually enjoy. And I'll go ahead and start. And this is actually a recent pick. Uh, critics were not kind to the film King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. And it actually... Yeah, they it, sure were not. Yeah, and it totally bombed here in, in the States. Uh, but it, So it got a 28% rating from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. I actually enjoyed this film. But I should say that I'm a huge fan of Guy Ritchie, the director, and his style. He did the Sherlock Holmes films. He uh, recently did The Man from UNCLE, which was another fun film. But I really enjoyed it. I enjoy his uh, style of storytelling. I thought it was about 30 minutes too long, and the ending was a little silly for me. But just a, a fun popcorn flick and I wasn't looking for Shakespeare or even something that was true to the source material but I actually enjoyed this film you know I'm a Guy Ritchie fan too but I have to say that I maybe did what movie studios worry about and then I saw all of the bad reviews and was like you know what I have a lot of movies to see this summer I'll just wait until this one comes out on DVD or is on Amazon yeah Um, so I have not seen it yet Um, but I do plan to because I, I mean I liked all the other, you know, Sherlock was, it was a pretty good film for what it was. I, you know, I had a lot of fun. There was a lot of action. So, um, you know, there are, it's one of those movies where I feel like you can still enjoy it, even though it's not great. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what is your pick for the movie that had a really low Rotten Tomato score, but that you loved? So it's funny that you should ask this because I was just talking about this with um, my fiance the other day because it came on television it's an older movie. It's called Smoke and Aces. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's this really dark comedy with Ray Liotta and Ryan Reynolds and Jeremy Piven. And then there's just a ton of gratuitous violence. It has about a 29% score on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's just one of those movies that's good fun. I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie, but I'll watch it when it comes on. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but you said Ray Liotta's in it. it is, uh, is Jason Bateman in that one, too? He might be. You know, I can't recall. Hmm. Okay, so Smoke and Aces. Now, also, it sometimes it happens that 
uh, movies have a very high critic score, and the audience score is very low. And uh, one example, and I this isn't my pick, but one example I thought of was Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had a pretty good critics review, but audiences seemed to really hate it as time went by. I didn't mind it as much. I didn't think it was that different from any of the other Indiana Jones films as, as far as the plausibility of certain action sequences. That's not my pick, but that was just an example. Another, uh, another example, which is my pick, is a film directed by Robert Altman called A Prairie Home Companion. Got an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty high critic score. And this, of course, is based on the Garrison Keillor Prairie Home Companion uh, radio shows that he used to put on. It's got got a great cast. Woody Harrelson, Meryl Streep, um, John C. Riley, Garrison Keillor, of course, is in it, and Tommy Lee Jones. This is one of those films that – and I should say that I haven't really listened to or watched any of the Prairie Home Companion radio shows. Uh, but this film just really didn't do anything for me. thought it was kind of boring. It was kind of all over the place. And uh, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. So this is an example of a film that got great scores from the critics but not so much from, from me or audiences in general. Um, so I have not seen that one. My example is um, one that actually both critics and audiences liked, but I was not into. So I'm a little bit of the dissenter, I guess, in this one. Um, the Avengers, the first Avengers movie. I thought I was going to love it. I was really excited going into it. I remember I went to the midnight showing. It was directed by Joss Whedon, so who I absolutely love. And I was really excited about it, but I was just, I think maybe my expectations were too high and I was disappointed walking out of it. I just felt like the plot was kind of um, shallow. And while I did appreciate what he did with the characterization element of it, I felt like, you know, Loki's master plan throughout it all was not very impressive for someone who's supposed to be the god of trickery. Um, wow. So I was pretty disappointed with that one. You are a dissenter. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because that's a film that I remember seeing and, and very much enjoying. Um, but I remember having a clear thought at the end of that movie. Wow. Where are they going to go from here? Because it was just so huge in scale, so epic. Mm-hmm. And I I haven't enjoyed some of the other Marvel movies as much as the Avengers because I, I, I feel like... They, there's this mentality of we've got to up the ante in every single one of these movies. It's got to be bigger than the previous movie. And I don't agree with that mentality. And I've actually liked some of the smaller Marvel films better, like Ant-Man I was a huge fan of because they they kind of slowed down. They did a smaller story. It wasn't as big or epic. And I really enjoyed that. Plus, I thought it was just flat out funny. But, uh, I loved Captain America Winter Soldier for a similar reason because huh. I thought it was what the Avengers should have been without the egos. Interesting. It was a smaller level with the exception of Captain America, who's huge, of course. But it was the Falcon, it was the Black Widow, and it was this sort of team-up without all of the huge action that we get out of the Avengers movies because you have so many big characters in that. You know, and I think, I think you bring up a good point here, just in closing. Um, I, you and I seem to have... Totally different opinions on these Marvel movies, but that is just fine. And I think that's what a lot of people forget about when they go look at reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. 
All of these critics' tastes, all of the audience uh, tastes are going to be totally different. And one movie that you love is a movie that I may just hate. And that's okay. So there's there's really something for everybody out there. And if you're if you're willing to spend the time, do a little more research, you may stumble across a movie that you know one man's trash is another man's gold. I, I totally botched what that famous saying, but it really goes to show you there is something for everybody out there. And uh, Ashley Rodriguez, I just want to thank you again for for being on screen cleaning. I had a great time with you, and uh, keep up the good work. And and hopefully we can have you back on the show. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. We're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. See what they're up to this weekend. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. It's part of our, uh, the best part of the show. Well, it's a good part of the show. <laughs> when we speak to Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation, how are you guys doing? It's let's, Friday. We're fantastic. Let's clean this screen. <laughs> Speaking of uh, cleaning the screen, uh, I understand that you both saw Dunkirk. Indeed. And did you spot the Michael Caine cameo? I didn't. I wasn't looking either. Even though you told us that, I forgot. I did not see the Michael Caine cameo. So I had mistakenly told you that he was not in the film. But when I went to see it, I didn't see him in the film, but I heard him in the film. Ah. So he has a little communique with Tom Hardy up in the airplane. Uh-huh. <laughs> that you unmistakable <laughs> yeah that was kind of gutsy for christopher nolan to put him in a mask again again yeah i i tweeted the night after i saw it which i think it was tuesday because it's cheaper i said hey dunkirk and then i did like a you know strong-armed emoji and then i said i can't wait for the blu-ray so i can hear what they were saying <laughs> Oh so my I goodness! Understand what the they were saying. Captioning. Closed captioning. Closed captioning. Yeah. I did the the whole movie. I turned to my wife. What did the, What did he just say? I don't, I don't understand what I they know, said. My wife does that too, and she speaks a little too loud. She doesn't know how to whisper at the right volume. Oh, so it embarrasses me. I'm like, hey. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm right here, and then she gets mad because I. Hey, what did they say, Jerem? Public, yeah. So then, so whenever, yeah, it always creates an awkward situation for me and my wife at a movie theater because she's like. Yeah, what did they? I'm like, every, like twelve people can hear you. Like, I'm right here, literally, just whisper. See, that would be hard to do for this film because that was a loud movie. It was, and it, I, I did like the fact that you felt like you were in a war zone. Right? Absolutely, like, it's it's loud, it's deafening, it's crazy. Yeah, I I enjoyed that, and the music was such that you're like, is this the noise of a plane, or is it the music? Yeah. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah. Hans Zimmer did a nice job with that. I, I didn't breathe for about an hour and a half. Oh, my gosh. It was intense, right? Yeah. Um, hey, do you guys know if the, the softball schedule has come out for I this weekend? I don't know if we're playing each other or not, which now I'm hearing that maybe we won't. Not until the championship match. Boom. The sports match. Boom. The death match. Whoever sports is the hardest will win the title <laughs> of sports champion. 
So I want to know what's coming up on your show in just seven minutes and ten seconds. Well, maybe you've heard, but fall camp started yesterday. Yeah, practice. Whoop, whoop. We were at practice. Not a game. Not a game. Practice. Yes, BYU football practice is underway for the next 29 days. We will analyze, overanalyze, give you our hot takes before the actual games begin. But it's it's good. It's July and football is back at BYU. We go two-on-one with running backs coach Reno Mahe. Also, he was a receiver. Now he's gained 23 pounds. He is a tight end. His name is Moroni Laulu Pututau. Yeah, Reno has gained more go. than 23 pounds. Yeah, Reno has gained more than Moroni. Uh, <laughs> Reno thought he was going to become a tight end. Uh, we go two-on-one with those guys. We talk to them after practice. And then what did we observe? How did Tanner Mangum look? How did the tight ends look? What was the defense doing? We will tell you coming up, you'll hear from Kalani Satake and Tanner Mangum and Fred Warner and company. BYU scheduled a brand new Power 5 opponent out of the Atlantic Coast Conference. What's that all about? Who that? Announced this morning. And win. It's way, the, 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 the furthest game in the future was just scheduled today for BYU. Yep. We'll tell you who it is and when. Hmm. Do the other sports ever get jealous that you talk so much about football? Probably, but they know who <laughs> pays the bills. Also, <laughs> we will tell you about what Colton Shaver did last night. He, he moved up in the minors. And he was up at the end of the game, and uh, let's just say the best possible scenario happened. We'll, we'll tell you and show you a little bit of is that this, coming up. Is this the guy that keeps hitting all those home runs? Yes. yes. Five, five home runs in six games. Six games. Wow. That's our stat of the day. We got a little, a spoiler alert. Got a little mini <laughs> Cody Bellinger here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Colton's a little bigger than Cody. Not oh, taller, wow. but bigger. A little? <laughs> all right. So that's coming up on your show here in just five minutes on BYU Sports Nation. Have a great show, you guys. Word. Thanks, Hef. Oh, my goodness. That just reminded me that there's another Dodger game tonight. I'll be interested to see what Cody Bellinger and the Dodgers do. They're the best team in baseball. They are. Um, <laughs> you seemed very excited about that. Well, I'm a Rockies fan, so oh, it's tough. Oh, hey, they'll make it. They're they'll doing probably well. make it, too. Anyway, uh, it's a special day today. It's the birthday of a person I love with all my heart. I- I'm being sincere, but uh, in fact, I, I want to make this our panning for good segment today. There's good in them dire hills. As you know, on screen cleaning, we try to help you find the best entertainment around. And one way that we do that is by shining a spotlight on a particular movie, actor, performer. And in this case, it's a person who has shared her favorite movies with me. And that is my wife who is celebrating her birthday today. I did what every man should do and I went birthday. She wanted me to share her five favorite films on screen cleaning. And so I'm going to do so. She grew up watching the same three movies every weekend with her family. And she loves to share the story of how her dad, even though he's seen these films so many times, would always say, oh, no, what are they going to do? And would react very dramatically as if he doesn't know what's going to happen, even though he's seen the films many, many times. One of those films is the great film The Fugitive. The Academy Award-winning film, Best Picture-nominated film, The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And to me, this is one of the examples of perfect casting because 
the people that have these these uh, U.S. Marshal jobs are the people that you would imagine having these jobs, not some young blonde bombshell. These are very real, realistic portrayals of U.S. Marshals. Great, exciting film. She would also watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Maybe not uh, totally accurate as far as accents go because, as you know, Kevin Costner plays Robin Hood, and that is actually the punchline of a joke in the Mel Brooks version of Robin Hood, Robin Hood Men in Tights, where Carrie Elwes says, unlike other Robin Hood, I can speak with a British accent. (laughs) But it's still a good movie. Morgan Freeman, Alan Rickman. Who doesn't love them? Some Alan Rickman. And the other film that they watched quite frequently was Jurassic Park, the wonderful Steven Spielberg-directed film. The only film really in that whole Jurassic Park franchise that is, you know, rewatchable. 